gentlemen and those who do not believe in a gender binary, we are back! Oh, wow! Oh. Thank you for joining us. And when I say back, I mean for the second time. We just recorded the first 38 minutes of this podcast, uh, and then it didn't record. Oh, shit! So... We that means we got it. glowing smiles on our faces because yeah, we have to do this to again. Do take two. Yeah, we're gonna do this again. Um, we're gonna go through all the things we just did. We're gonna try to pretend like it's the first time we are hearing it. I have no idea what's on your top twenty-five list at all. No, certainly not. And you don't know my feelings about Strange Color Your Body's Tears. Did you watch Strange Color Your Body's Tears last night? I gave Jim some jelly bellies to get the energy back up. Jim, Oops, and they're ha- falling all over the place. <laughs> Good. Um, also, Good. fucking nonsense. You got to talk about <laughs> fucking jelly beans flying everywhere. There's not. There is no less dignified food stuff in this universe than jelly beans. You're probably right. I think. What's in these? Um, probably a lot of food coloring and babies? probably babies and bugs. Babies oh wow! And bugs. Okay, good. Um, uh, it's it's basically the gel uh, yes, bars from Snowpiercer, Snow which may or may not show up on our list. We hey don't Jim, know. I want to do I do want to ask you what you thought about 2014. Um, I thought it was pretty good. Yeah, could have used more jelly beans, but overall, um, I was fairly happy with the year. But at the same time, there was no Tree of Life, right? No Upstream Color, right? You know, like mind blowing movies that I think are going to be classics in my mind anyway. But the shipping news, yeah. Oh, shut up. <laughs> shipping news. <laughs> you know, you that the one? only movie that people talked about in 1998. No, what? Uh, what's the other horrible Kevin's? The Life and Death of David Gale. Yeah, there we go. There was no Life and Death of David Gale this mm-hmm. year, and that Not was yet. the real problem. Um, but I, I, I kind of was really down on this year for a while because. I by April in 2013, I had seen Upstream Color. I had seen one of my favorite movies of all time. I had seen the what I thought was the best movie of the year. I had seen what I thought was one of the greatest sci-fi movies of all time. Computer Chess. Computer Chess uh, came a little later, but like yeah, yeah like like uh, last year I had about like five movies in my top ten that would have that I like more than my number one movie for this year. Mm-hmm. So I was down on it for a while, but I think. Part of the reason I was actually down on it was because I had a lot better experience watching old movies. Like, we did the Otto Preminger episode at the beginning of 2014, and we watched Daisy Kenyon. I got to see Daisy Kenyon for the first time. Right. And that was just mind-blowing. And I saw a bunch of old movies this uh, 2014, I should say, not this year. But I saw a bunch of old movies last year that, for the first time, that were really just incredible and astounding. And I found that to be a much more, a much more rewarding experience. True. Uh, and I kind of think, I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm just going to retreat into old man Patrick mode where I just watch old movies. That's possible. I will say that probably the single best viewing experience I had wasn't even at the movie theater and it wasn't a new movie. It was David Lean's brief encounter in the midst of a horrible depression in Michigan. This movie just, I said, okay, I love movies again. I love life. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. I mean, it was just like... That's those... an interesting reaction because it's such a sad ending. I know, it is. But I just, I probably because I understood. But also, I thought it was one of the most humane, sweet, sort of... Yeah. Like, just one of those... It, it, clearly, I think Linkletter must have been inspired by it, too. You think so? I, for the Before Sunrise... But I always get them confused, all of them. <laughs> before before sunset, Sunrise is the first, then yeah, Before Sunset, before and then Before Minute. Yeah, I just think, like... Just a little bit, just a little touch. Of I can that see humanity. a little bit of before sunset. I mean, yeah, that's what I meant. Yeah, 
I mean, that's, I mean, this brief encounter is one of those mammoth films that is just, that mm-hmm. has probably inspired countless people in ways that we would never know. That's true. Other than they've made a movie. That well, I think they brought like it up on the Altman episode too. Yeah. Yeah. Like Altman said, like that was a, one of the last movies he saw in his life yep. or whatever. Yep. So, uh, I may, I have a list actually of best films I saw for the first time in 2014. And, uh, this is not including 2014 films. Um, so my number one was Daisy Kenyon. Mm. My number two was Brief Encounter. Mm-hmm. My number three, Advise and Consent, uh, the Otto Preminger movie. Yes. That's, it's so beautiful and it's so weird and it's so sharp. It's so funny and it's so emotional and it goes places you never, ever expect it to. Yeah. And as much as I love anim- Anatomy of a Murder, if I were to rewatch an Otto Preminger movie soon, that would be it. Yeah. I, I was very surprised by where that movie went. Yeah, I mean, uh, Otto, uh, Otto Preminger uh, ended up being one of my favorite uh, directors of all time from that from preparing for that episode. Yeah. Um, number four for me would be It's Such a Beautiful Day, which is this amazing Don Hertzfeld animated mm-hmm. film that you told me to watch a couple years ago, and I was like, I've never heard of that, whatever. And Stephen Ray Morris told us a couple years ago as well. Yeah, a couple years before that. Yeah. So, uh, listen, listen to people. When they recommend a movie to you, don't assume they're full of shit just because it didn't show up on someone's top ten list. You can assume I'm full of shit. Well, you can assume Jim is full of shit, but don't assume I'm full of shit mm-hmm. just because it didn't show up on someone's top ten list. Um, oh, God. Uh, stick figures. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've never felt so much for a stick figure than in such a beautiful day. Um, other, than, other than, of course, the classic kids game where you scribble on your left hand. Okay? And you, you take a pen, you scribble on your left hand. On your right hand, you draw a stick figure, and then you go, this is Jim. Jim can go up. Jim can go down. Jim can go all around. I'm crying. Let's give him a round of applause. And then you hold up your left hand, and you go, oops. You never did that as a kid? No. That was classic middle school. I just played hot potato because I love potatoes. Classic middle school goof. Um, Anyway, so that's number four. It's such a beautiful day. Number five, Anatomy of Murder, another Otto Preminger movie. Heard of it. Very good. Uh, number six, Lawrence of Arabia. British Beatlemania. I saw that 70mm on the big screen. It was an incredible experience. Um, I can't wait to watch it again with subtitles because I, I saw it in a place where the sound uh, kind of has a uh, a strong reverb to it at the music box. Mm, and it can be yeah. hard to hear certain That's the only dialogue. downside about going to the music box. Yeah. Reverb. It, it's only it's certain movies. You know, certain mm. movies, just the way they're recorded or the way the accents are. Like, just Lawrence of Arabia had thick enough accents that... I, I want to watch it again. And if you're not keeping track, ladies and gentlemen, that makes two, two David Lean movies on this list. Two David Lean movies and three Otto Preminger movies. Uh, number seven, Skinning Grove, which was a, it's a documentary short that I've talked about endlessly on this podcast Michael before. Almoradora or something. There you go. Number eight, Night of the Hunter, the classic everyone knows about. Um, mm. I had thought I had seen it, and then I realized that when the kids hit the river... I had watched it on Turner Classic Movies, but I didn't keep watching after they got to the river. Um, so Robert Mitchum is the man. Robert Mitchum, of course. Whoa. The man in that movie. Uh, Joey Lawrence, the, the second best actor in that movie. Whoa. Um, <laughs> number nine, The Lady Vanishes. It turns out my favorite. She does. My, turns out my favorite period of uh, Alfred Hitchcock is like early comedy thriller Hitchcock. Like the man, the original man who knew too the much. The Steps. The Thirty-nine steps. Thirty-nine. Yeah, you keep saying the twelve steps. The twelve steps is clean and sober with Michael Keaton. Right. And that that joke is almost as fresh as the first time we did it on the <laughs> on the podcast. It didn't record. Speaking of which, let me check the audio file. We're golden. Golden. Okay. And uh, my number ten, Farewell to Arms, the nineteen thirty-two movie. Just bye, a really bye, Arms. Beautiful adaptation 
not quite my tempo, Jim. You're not quite my tempo right now. Please <laughs> okay, match sorry. my tempo. Um, uh, you're dragging just a hair. Spoiler alert. Um, it's a beautiful uh, melodramatic romance adaptation of the Ernest Hemingway novel, which is not beautiful and romantic. <laughs> it's kind of just sad and cynical about World War One. No, Ernest uh, Hemingway was a true optimist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he uh, he believed that when you put a gun to your head and pulled the trigger, that that it would do the job, right. and he was proven right. And he loved to drink orange juice. So all of these movies, I think, I had a stronger reaction to than, I mean, other than maybe like a farewell to arms or Lady Vanishes, I had a stronger reaction to all these movies than any twenty fourteen movie mm. that I saw this year. So I think. Yeah, I just got to be old man Patrick who's just watching all the old films and just like, wow, Hollywood, I don't know how to frame a movie. Whoa, you got you got to watch Jimmy Stewart, too. Yeah. Well, you got to watch John Huston. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're like Paul Thomas said, John Huston did it all first. Um, <laughs> so I've actually made some New Year's resolutions. We both have. Um, we've made some New Year's resolutions for things we want to try to accomplish in our viewing this year. I forgot mine already. I you did not forget yours because I'm willing it to you right now. I'm trying. You came up with yours on the spot. I'll okay. go on mine first, and then I'll tell you what yours were. Um, <laughs> uh, let's see if you can remember. I want to see eight new John Wayne films this year. Yeah, I've, see, I've only seen four movies with John Wayne in them, and they're all amazing. Um, granted, they're like they're the they're the top of the heap. He's made too many movies for them all to be great, but. I've seen The Searchers, I've seen Stagecoach, I've seen Rio Bravo, and I've seen The Red River. And they're all amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, if I had to do an order there, I would say Stagecoach, Red River, Searchers, Rio Bravo. Um, Mine would be the other way around. You exactly flipped? Yeah. <laughs> Yours would be Rio Bravo, Red River, uh, Searchers, Stagecoach? No. Searchers and... Oh, never mind. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> John Wayne... One of the biggest movie stars of all time. I feel like I should see more of his movies. So I'm mm-hmm. going to try to see eight John Wayne films I've never seen before in 2015. I also want to see five new Otto Kreminger films because, as I've mentioned, I've had as transcendent experiences watching his films. I could have easily listed Fallen Angel on one of the best films I saw for the first time in 2014. Uh, it's, Did uh, you see that one? I don't think you saw it. Hmm. At least you didn't see it as of our recording of the Otto Preminger episode. Okay. It's like a crime noir where a man gets into town with no money and then he ends up seducing a woman and he seduces another familiar. woman. It's great. It's If you like The Prowler. Maybe I did see it. <laughs> if okay. you like Joseph Losey's The Prowler, then you'll like this. Damn it. I'm getting so, too old. I want to see five new Otto Preminger movies. I want to see four new trauma movies. Nah. Uh, well. <laughs> I you well, Okay. So you like The Guest. And I didn't like The Guest. And I want to see four new trauma movies, and you have had your fill of trauma movies. And I think those both speak to the same the same fact, which is that you grew up renting VHS tapes yeah, splattery, in the 80s. splattery films, yeah, lots in, of gore and In the 80s, and, and I didn't. So, yeah. like, The Guest, I didn't really have that touchstone, and I was just sort of like, whatever, this is... You're like, whatever. Yeah, I was like, whatever, and then I Liam lynched it. Um, but I... But I... I like a lot of trauma movies. There's something about the just really, really ramshackle nature of those mm-hmm. movies. Like, so low rent. Almost like John Waters a little bit. Well, yeah. Well, that's funny because I saw Polyester as a midnight movie. That's at right. At the music box. And it has Scratch and Sniff. Um, I don't know if that card's still around. Oh, there it is. Um, what should I do? You should scratch number two. Oh! That's a fart. Yuck. 
So polyester is sort of a John Waters Douglas Cirque parody where Divine plays this put upon housewife who's number one's a rose. <gasps> one of those is gasoline, and I think the last one is actually like floral as well. One of them's tangerines. Um, but so anyway, polyester is John Waters sort of Douglas Cirque parody. It's this melodrama about this housewife who everything's going wrong, and then she meets this man, and they fall in love, but it's doomed or whatever. And it's just it's John Waters, so it's just complete silliness. And I think John Waters and Trauma kind of have very similar approaches. I think John Waters is smarter and hipper and like funnier, but um, watching the John Waters movie and having run out of old John Waters movies to watch now that I've seen all of them, uh, like I want to go back and watch like these trauma movies. I think there's something appealing about that. So I'm going to watch four new trauma movies from the eighties. I want to watch Schindler's list. I've never seen Schindler's list. I was going to watch it for Steven Spielberg part two, but then I moved and I wasn't on an episode. Oh, that's right. Yeah. So, um, I have... It's okay. I like it. It's okay? Yeah, I like it. Solid B, B minus? Yeah, it's probably like a four out of five. (laughs) Four out of five? That's the guest. Uh, (laughs) That's what you did the guest. Mirror. Um, But no, I haven't seen Schindler's List. I read this book of Spielberg interviews, and it was funny because you're reading, because it's arranged chronologically, Hmm. so there are all these interviews where... Like, Sugarland Express was actually a pretty interesting movie. So tell us about this Jaws picture. There seems to be a lot of hype about Jaws. And and then it gets to, like, Close Encounters. And then it gets to the point where... It's going to be interesting to read. Yeah. Yeah, it gets to the point where, like, post-Raiders, people are just sort of like, is this all you can do? You're just making these kind of kids' movies? E.T.? Like, hmm. and then he did, like... And then he did, like, uh, The Color Purple. And people were like, uh, we're not about sure purple. about this. And and then he tried, like, always, and all of his attempts to, like, make adult movies had failed. Yeah. So everyone was just like, oh, he's just this big kid, and everyone had sort of discounted him. Um, I mean, even he didn't – he thought Jaws wasn't a great movie, which is – it's the best movie. So sorry, Spielberg. Um, but so, like – and then when he made, uh, you know – when he made Schiller's List, it was, like, this insane sensation where all these people – like, the New Yorker. Like, of all people who – who like just despise the sort of easy um, sort of audience driven middle America pitched like films that he has, that he made all up to the early nineties. Like the New Yorker was like Schindler's list is the greatest narrative film about the Holocaust ever. Um, so, and I was like, oh, this is probably really amazing. I should watch it. It's probably really interesting and it's probably more complex than I would expect. It'd be interesting to read like interviews with George Lucas after THX. So what are you doing next after THX 1138? Well, actually, I read this book. It's it's called um, Trufo- Spielberg Truffaut and Me. Oh. Do you know this book? I've heard of it, yeah. Okay, so it's Bob Balaban on the set mm-hmm. of Close Encounters. And he it's his diary that he kept all through pre-production and post-production. And basically, he was hired because Spielberg needed someone who spoke French um, to be act as the translator for Tru- uh, Francois Truffaut's character. And for, and so it's about all this time he spends with Francois Truffaut and how like insecure Francois Truffaut was about acting, but Tr- Truffaut was writing this book about acting, so he's like, this would be really vital experience for me. And it's amazing because it's about the actual nature of the production of a huge budget movie like Close Encounters of the Third Kind, and what that means is if you're an actor, it's mostly just sitting around in like weird towns in the south where they were able to like find a hangar to build the set. <laughs> like, so like they're just in Alabama for months and months 
sitting around and it's like, well, we it was like this is week two of us walking around as they shot us from above from the mother's eye, the mothership's eye point of view. We don't exactly know what we're doing at this point. Like, <sighs> it's a really fascinating book. And at one point, Bob Balaban is like, uh, Steven Spielberg's friend George Lucas visited the set. He's working on this <laughs> film called he's working on this film called Star Wars, and it's and everyone seems to be very excited about it. <laughs> hmm. So like it's it's funny the in retrospect being like uh, yeah his friend Robert Zemeckis showed up <laughs> <laughs> and it's like Spielberg says Zemeckis is one of his favorite people or something like that like yeah um it's a really really good book I and it it was out of print for the longest time and it just came back into print like uh, like maybe five years ago or so so cool beans so you should see that but um yeah it, anyway uh so Schindler's List. I want to watch. Uh, yes. <laughs> Speaking of cool beans, Schindler's List. Uh, I want. I want half the movies I see this year to be first time viewings, which won't be a problem because that's what it ends up being anyway. Because we of the way we prepare for the show, I don't have much time to watch to rewatch old movies. Right. I don't. I like especially yeah. Just like the past four years since I've been doing this episode, since I've been doing the show, I don't have like comfortable movies I put on. Mm, I do rewatch some movies. It's you fun rewatch to, more than I do. Yeah, I just want to see if they hold up. Yeah, I like rewatching them with different people. You know, I mean, but I do say I will say that it's great that um, we don't host a new release podcast yeah. where we're sort of like yeah. you know this shackled would, to the movie theater every yeah. week. This would be a terrible. This would be a terrible couple months uh, to be a new yeah. release podcast. Yeah, Though, indeed. I want to see the wedding ringer. I don't care who knows. What's the wedding ringer? Is that with Johnny Knoxville? No, no, it's Kevin uh, Hart? Kevin Hart. Oh, you Kevin Hart like comedy. that guy? Kevin Hart's funny. He's yeah. a funny guy. He's a funny comedian. Mm-hmm. He's uh, no Hannibal Burris, who I got to see. Sorry, you want to tell the story, or do you want to just say see? No, I'm just, like I'm, just, that? I'm just very happy that I got to see Hannibal Burris, Stephen Wright, and Louis C.K. at the Chicago Theater and laugh my ass off. I have no ass. No, no more. No. Okay, and then finally, to go with sort of what I was talking about is watching more older movies, I want a full quarter of the movies I see this year, um, first-time viewings or new re- or new first-time watches, or first-time viewings or rewatches. I want a full quarter of them to be from before 1970. That's cool. That's going to be harder to do, because none of the directors were covering, well, very few of the directors were covering are predominantly from before the 70s. Mm. So, and honestly, few of the directors we cover on this podcast are from that era. That's true. Which probably going to be a mistake, but you know, there's always time to correct that later. Um, so your resolutions, do you remember them? Um, remind me Two. two road movies. Oh yeah. Road movies and screwball comedies. That's right. Um, yeah. So you're going to see 12 each. I was writing for a site that I'm not writing for anymore. Um, when I was living in Michigan, I watched Tulane Blacktop for the first time, and I forgot what the scroll comedy was, but both of them I really liked, and then it sort of, uh, you know, gave me the incentive to say, I would like to write about and view more screwball comedies and road movies, because I really am hu- I'm a huge fan of both genres. Yeah. So why not? What the hell? Let's make that a goal of mine for next year, or for this year, 2015. You want to watch one a month each. Yeah. Movies that you never, never seen, seen before. before. Okay, new ones. Awesome. 
So that's our New Year's resolutions. We're going to keep checking in on those throughout the year, and yeah. hopefully that'll be like a, a fun, ongoing thing I'm and not a thing that we abandon. I'm going to call you in the morning. Yeah. Patrick? Yes? Did you watch your movie? Yes, I watched my movies. Okay. I saw Schindler's List. It's a great film. All right, great. Thank you. Good night. Um. Okay, so we should... You know, what old, old movies are nice. Yeah. Screwball comedies are nice. Road movies are nice. Old people are nice. Old people can be nice. Sometimes yeah. they can be assholes. Right. Um, we should probably talk about movies from 2014. That is in the title for this episode. Okay. So I'm going to read my list of shame. Jim, you saw maybe three times as many movies from 2014 as I did. Yeah. Just because of the way you consume movies. And um, I had shingles and didn't work for a while. So yeah. lots of time. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> that, that'll do it. So um, you saw way more 2014 movies than I did. So your list of shame is going to be exponentially smaller. That's right. But I'm going to read this list of shame. And then if you also have not seen a movie. Now, these are movies we haven't seen. So movies you won't be hearing me talk about. Um, And if you haven't seen the movie as well, Jim, just go. Very good. Okay. I haven't seen Selma, by the way. That's That's true. That's that's I saw Selma and you did not. Yeah. Uh, I was going to invite you, but by the time I thought to invite you, I was in front of the theater, and it was 15 minutes to showtime. Aww, you suck. Also, I think you were working. That's true. Okay. Movies I have not seen from 2014. 20,000 Days on Earth. Last Days in Vietnam. You haven't seen Last Days in Vietnam? No. I thought you did. No. Okay, cool. Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. The Lunchbox. John Wick. Gone Girl. Wild. Inherent Vice. A Most Wanted Man, Citizen Four, Ida, The Dance of Reality, the new Jodorowsky movie, Twelve O'Clock Boys, Lucky Them, Nymphomaniac, The Immigrant, The Strange Little Cat, Particle Fever, Life Itself, A Most Violent Year, Jodorowsky's Dune, Goodbye to Language, The Congress, Noah, No, I knew I, we, we've done this before. We already did this on the on the lost episode on the lost. I'm, I was just waiting for you to make a bird noise. Oh, sorry. Proxy. Bird people. Meh. The missing picture. Meh. Stranger by the lake. The overnighters. Oh man. Fox catcher. Mister Turner. Meh. Love is strange. God help the girl. I started it. So is that meh? No, that's a meh if you didn't finish it. Okay. Meh. Because it won't be on your list, right? Right. right. Winter sleep. Meh. I also, yeah, I started I started the raid too, <laughs> and I turned it off because it was garbage. And then I started Godzilla, and I turned it off it was garbage. So. You know, I never, movies, I never saw Godzilla either. Yeah. It's, it's, mm. it's the worst. It's every bad Hollywood instinct. Oh, shit. Okay. So those are movies you won't be hearing about. No. Movies you will be, you might be hearing about later would be movies we're, we're going to give awards to right now. Now, Jim, you sent me an email with a <laughs> list true. of potential, <laughs> many emails. This one had a list of potential awards to give to 2014 movies. I didn't fill all these out, but I did most of them. So let's start at the start. The movie that gave you blue balls. This is the movie that started out great and then pooped out. Now, if I had to pick one, I would say Only Lovers Left Alive because I love the mood. I love the atmosphere. I love those opening, rotating shot, mm-hmm. the music. It's a beautiful movie. The lighting of that movie is incredible. It doesn't go anywhere. I don't care about it after, like, I, it was wearing me down. I enjoyed spending time with them, but once they're like, oh, we have to go to, I forget even the, the country they go to. 
Uh, I forgot too. Like Tangiers or whatever, somewhere. Mm-hmm. Like I, it, it, the plot was worthless, and it, it would have been better if it was just like literally no plot at all. Right. Um. So that only lovers left alive was that for me. I would say mine belongs to a film called Predestination, which I don't know if it technically qualifies, but I think it came out in some country somewhere. <laughs> but um, it's coming out I think this month around here anyway. And it starts it's a music off, box, nonetheless. Yeah, it's it's weird. It's a it's a crazy science fiction movie from the uh, guys. The poster is just Ethan Hawke holding a gun, which yeah. is why it's weird that's at the music box. I would agree, and it's um starts off great because it's about gender stereotypes, and you know Ethan Hawke meets um you know a transgender individual sitting at the bar that he works at, and they have a really interesting conversation. Um, and then it, it, you know, involves time travel. There's a lot going for it. And then it sort of does what, you know, I think you feel about Edge of Tomorrow is that it sort of just becomes actiony, chasey, kind of tropey. That is what I feel about and, Edge of Tomorrow. And I'm like disappointed. I'm like, you guys brought up such interesting themes. And, then, and, you and it just sort of, yeah, yeah, devolves into sci-fi action. Yeah, it kind of does for me. It's, it's still worth seeing just because of the setup. I think yeah. it's a really... Cool idea to incorporate those ideas into a science fiction And it's movie. a time travel movie. <gasps> yeah. Which is your thing. It is totally my thing, and it might come up again later. Okay. The Jim and Patrick is Crazy Award. We already had this conversation, so we'll just say it again. We never, ever see eye to eye on the very familiar indie movie that... Yeah, or like, like the them. The familiar... Uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's, it's unsuspecting... Kind of any movie that's just kind of pleasant. I like just, pleasant. I, I so it doesn't. It, it's it doesn't been have to be Cedar Rapids, color. Cedar Rapids, uh, Win Win, um, and then this year, uh, Skeleton Twins. Skeleton Twins, <laughs> which I just thought was the most flavorless, generic, uh, possible indie movie I had ever seen. I knew everything was going to happen. I thought the performances weren't great. I thought I thought they were good. I, every part of that movie was. It, it was like I thought maybe like maybe it was interesting in that it felt like a computer had analyzed like a mm-hmm. hundred the hundred most mainstream indie movies ever and like analyzed those scripts and then it just spit out this like just gray mush that was skeleton twins. It's like well their catharsis comes during a scene where the two characters are lip syncing to each other. It's like that's fucking step. That's like stepmom. That's ain't no matter high enough from stepmom of all goddamn things. Like, I can't stand that stuff. And it's just, and the, the it made me smile. I'm gonna say the difference between you and me, or not the difference between you is and that me. Patrick hates to smile. As I hate to smile. The difference between this and Win Win or Cedar Rapids is this is mopey. This isn't pleasant. This isn't obvious child where it's like, well, maybe that wasn't like groundbreaking or anything. But I like spending time with those characters, and it was just fun to be in that world. Like, this is all about. Just depression, depression, and it's like it's. I don't know. It's not a pleasant. It's not a pleasant experience to me. And yeah. it's, but it's also not an illuminating one. I've been through you know these periods. I know these people. I mean, I, I sometimes just frame it in this ridiculous way. I know that. Like, I mean, even going I, like, what if me and my sister were to ever rekindle? You know, it's like stupid things like that. I think of. It's never going to happen. First yeah. of all, but it's also like just me trying really hard to invest empathy into these characters even if i don't really identify with them i'm trying i just it's more of a try 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 thing so it's for me. all on your end is what you're saying the movie isn't actually good 
Maybe. No, I like the movie. That's the thing. It's like, I don't think it's groundbreaking. It's certainly not in my top 30 even, but I think Patrick just gets a little too hard on these movies sometimes. That's I, I just want a movie to try to be interesting. That's all I want. I want a movie to try. Was, I don't like... It's mo- interesting, but This movie doesn't like try. This movie doesn't try anything. It doesn't have to break ground. It just has to try. It just has to make an effort. This movie, there's like I no effort. Everyone is going through the numbers. I thought, both, I thought they both made effort. They have, they have a good chemistry, but that's all I can say about okay. them. Oh, so oh, um, like I've been, th- I have been through what they've been through. But even if I hadn't been through what they've been through, I've been through twenty movies about people going through what they're going through, and they all are more or less the you exact. You just same don't thing. believe in the power of starship. I don't believe in the power of starship. That's true. We gotta run through uh, some You've of these a little more never quickly. Never seen Mannequin. Uh, hardest you laughed. I'm gonna say Twenty Two Jump Street end credits. That's a good choice, but. I would go with the bartender scene and they came together. Yeah. As well as a scene involving Josh Brolin eating something in a car ride. And that's all I'm going to say because you're going to see it soon. Sure. Can you say the movie? Inherent Vice? Oh, yeah. Inherent Vice. (laughs) Um, And I'm going to say my favorite line of dialogue was the bartender scene in They Came Together. You can say that again. What was your favorite line of dialogue? Uh, uh, something you're not too crazy about it as no 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 it's something I'm not too crazy about it you know there are no two words in the English language worse to say to someone than good job I think that movie I think that what I find interesting about that line is it's indicative of the thing I disagree with Whiplash about like the Whiplash's thesis I disagree with and I think Whiplash is a great movie and we'll be talking about it but it's indicative of his character that's something that he would say I mean, I don't know. Right. If I don't know but, do you think it's the, the philosophy of the movie? I, th- I think the philosophy of the movie is that. We'll talk about that later. Okay. Um, Best use of a song? I would go with... Whiplash. Wilco's I Hate It Here from Boyhood. Because, yep. like, I've been in that situation with the dad saying, you got to hear this song. And it's, it like, means- a really shitty Wilco song. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I agree. You're shitty. <laughs> <laughs> That's my retort for everything. Um, I, I think just the, the titular song, Whiplash, in Whiplash... Of the three or four times it pops up is really great. Best action sequence, anyone in Snowpiercer? Same. Okay. Um, best newcomer, you had... The lead actress from Ida. I don't know if she's ever been in anything, but I liked her a lot. Um, I, I didn't have one for best newcomer. Best ensemble, I'm going to go ahead and say, surprise, surprise, Wes Anderson has a great ensemble in Grand Budapest Hotel. Good choice, but I went with Birdman. Birdman, makes sense. Um, most nail-biting moment, I'm going to say... The moment in Cheap Thrills with a meat cleaver. That's all I'm going to say. Because if you haven't seen Cheap Thrills yet, you really, really, really should. Another quality s- selection there. Yeah. But I'm going with Under the Black Tar and Under the Skin. Yes, with the, the two guys. And oh, the... shit. Sure. Um, uh, movie that made you hungry. I didn't have one. I don't know why you put this know. here. I don't even know why. You're just brainstorming. That's I know, fine. I know, I know. Let's skip it. Uh, most underrated, I'm going to say either Cheat Thrills or Alan Partridge, because I think Alan Partridge... Alan Partridge is the kind of comedy that is just really sharp and character-driven, and it's it's not improvised, and it doesn't have famous people in it, and it doesn't have like crazy over-the-top set pieces um, that are just like, oh, I'm going to... Diarrhea explosion! Like... It's, it's just like a really, really sharp, kind of understated movie for how funny it is. And I love the fuck out of that movie. Yeah, it's the best movie of its kind since Airheads. Yeah, the best the best, the best best hostage comedy. Yeah. Is, that, is that of its kind? Yeah. <laughs> okay, good. Most underrated coherence. Yeah. I just think most people, a lot of people, I don't know, kind of shoot it away or swept it under the rug a little bit. Like, they liked it, but they don't think it's like one of the best films of the year. For, for most people, anyway. Yeah. A select group of critics might have thought otherwise. But 
Yeah. Um, most overrated. I didn't have one. Gone Girl. Sure. I didn't. I, I didn't see that. It's um, okay. Biggest surprise for me was that shot in Willow Creek that it kept going. I love that. I that love... is a surprise. <laughs> I was surprised because not a whole lot in the movie like really blew me away until that shot. Yeah. But I will say that there's also a moment in How to Train Your. I can always have trouble saying it. How dragon? To, how to tra- train? Dragon. Train your dragon too. Dragon. Where I went? Whoa. It was shocking. Can you say anything about it other than it was shocking? I don't want to give it away. You can't give a con. You can't give a hint, so people it know what involves you meant. a death. Okay. Um. <laughs> uh. <laughs> it dies. You'll see. You're going to watch it one of these days. I want to make you. Most romantic shot moment is in The Wind Rises when um, the the, uh, main character is holding his dying wife's hand. That's really, really heartbreaking and romantic. Um, And yours was? Alfred Molina and John Lithgow in Love is Strange is a moment where they're forced to sort of bunk together in a bunk bed and I guess it's one of the nephew's rooms and... Oh my god, it's so sweet to see Alfred Molina and John Lithgow cuddled together. Uh, it, it, you have to see this movie. It's really moving. It's really sweet. It's not Again, it's not a What's the plot of it? It's just, uh, I know it's an updating of an old movie from the 30s that I can't remember. That Make Way for Tomorrow, I think that's, okay. the, I think that's the movie that it's sort of like an updating of. But just Alfred Molina and John Lithgow play a couple who are uh, falling on hard times and a lot of it has to do with their orientation, and it's a, it's you know kind of a sociological commentary, but also just a character study of two guys trying to get by, you know, in their fifties. Um, but it's a really sweet romantic movie. That's all it's, all there is to it. And a lot of the big moments that you'd expect are sort of um, shown off screen, yeah. so to speak. I don't want to give anything away, but so there's some prizes. It's not like you think of that movie and you're like. Eh. Probably something I've seen before, but there are genuine surprises in that huh? movie. I'll have to check it out. Sweet um, movie. moment that made me cry the hardest was just all of Selma. I just, 80% of Selma, I was just in tears or and just weeping. Just gasping for air, weeping. It was, it's so intense. Maybe it's good that you didn't see it with me. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> I hate it when men cry. Yeah, sure, sure. I mean, predestination. Um, what, was the, what was the moment that made you cry the hardest? The ending of Two Days, One Night. It's not necessarily a tearjerker, but just a movie that moved me because of how good it was. Um, best director, I don't know what that means, really. I didn't see anyone, like, it's, it's, it feels weird to me to determine what is best director as opposed to best picture. Yeah. I mean, in 2002, my number one choice was Punch Drunk Love, but I decided to choose Spike Lee as best director for 25th Hour. Because it's cause it's more audacious? Yeah. I think that's kind of what my decision was at the time. You know, I mean, I wonder, like, nowadays, I, it's such a hard... That, to me, is, like, the hardest choice of all the years, maybe, to choose. To choose a number Cause, one. Yeah, because I love... Well, I mean, I love both those movies so much. Yeah. Um, and my choice this year, I just decided to go with Richard Linkletter, because I thought, you know, what he did, what he accomplished with Boyhood is, is, is something for the ages. That's fair. Yeah. That's that's fair. He took a big gamble, and he paid off. Um, best actor for me was Jake Gyllenhaal from Nightcrawler. Good choice. My two choices for actor and actress are very predictable, but I went with Joaquin Phoenix for Inherent Vice and Reese Witherspoon for Wild. Whereas my best actress was uh, Mira Grossin from We Are the Best, who played Clara with the uh, Mohawk. That's right! 
She's really good. And that she movie is, is. I love that, that movie. That movie has kind of really deceptive performances because they're very. It's hard to be naturalistic and not muted. And they're very lively and they're very energetic and she's very uh, aggressive and in people's faces, but it's still super naturalistic. And you can si- kind of see her thinking sometimes. And, mm-hmm. and it's a hard character because she is sort of. She's the most charismatic. Like she's the cock of the walk. She's the one telling everyone else what to do. Yeah. But. But, but like, she's also just contradicts herself all the time because she's 12, you know, like, or 13 or whatever. She's just, she just will de- declare one thing and then when it suits her, she'll declare another thing. And it's... It's a very adolescent thing to do. Yeah, and and that that sort of hypocrisy is played really well um, in that movie. Yeah, and you would think it'd be obnoxious. really good. But it's it, it plays true to that time mm-hmm. period of your life. Um, best supporting actor is J.K. Simmons. Duh. Best supporting actress is... Duh. You gotta say it first. Oh. Patricia Arquette, Boyhood. <laughs> Thank you, Jim. We knew we already know ahead of time that we had the same best supporting actor and actress, but yeah. Best score is Under the Skin. Duh. Um Best Screenplay. Again, I don't know, I don't know I, how I, to distinguish. I, I guess I went with Whiplash, but you know. Um Best Cinematography for me was I guess the best looking movie I saw this year was Grand Budapest Hotel. You know what I liked, Patrick? Birdman? Ida. Oh. <laughs> Ida? Yeah, I love the cinematography. Don't you remember we just had this discussion earlier? No, I know. I'm pretending we didn't because oh, okay. I, I'm 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 feigning disbelief at because mm-hmm. I think that movie's kind mm-hmm. of ugly. Oh, it's, got it's that gorgeous. Tom, it's got that Tom Hooper framing. But you didn't think the black and white Bergman esque cinematography was? It's Bergman esque in that it's black and white. Oh come on! I don't think it. I mean, I don't. Not that okay. I'm the biggest Bergman. I don't know. I just really expert, dug it. But I, I thought it was an interesting choice. I mean, I know how you feel about the Tom Hooper King speech stuff, but I, I, I yeah, like it. Just I don't. What did it do for you though? I don't know. I just thought it was a really cool choice. But on top of that, I just. I don't I mean, know what it, it means. It, I don't know what it means symbolically. That's the thing well. You don't have to be symbolically. What did it mean to you as a viewer? Is my point because it's like okay. if if all it meant is that it called attention to itself, that doesn't necessarily mean it's the best cinematography. It sounds like it's just the loudest cinematography. I didn't find it loud necessarily. I just thought it was interesting. And plus, I don't know. Maybe it, the, the 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 white empty space surrounding them means something. Like. What did uh, it mean the to weight, you? The weight You're of, the one who the, watched it. The weight of history pressing down on the individual. I didn't finish individual, Ida. I didn't the un- finish the unbearable I pressure of I, uh, expectation. I don't know. I'm I, trying. I'm I, trying. I started, I started watching Ida late at night, and I saw the first 40 minutes or so, and I didn't like how it looked, and the story didn't seem to be going much anywhere, and maybe it's a great movie. I didn't finish it, but... It is. Yeah, I, I mean, but I, I didn't finish it because of that, I'll just say. Please finish it. Maybe I will. Um, then again, now that <laughs> then again, now that we're doing this episode. That should be my pleading voice for the me. Thing, I mean, you know, this, one of these Netflix envelopes right here has Beasts of the Southern Wild in it. And you know why I didn't watch Beasts of the Southern Wild for so long? Because you hate my choices. No, I didn't watch Beasts of the Southern Wild for so long because once I crammed to do one of these episodes... Then I declare that I don't want to watch. I don't want to watch any more 2014 movies. It's over. I've been drowning in 2014 movies. For You're about living months. in the moment. Yeah. So I don't know if I'll finish Ida. I probably won't. Maybe. I mean, not re- not okay, soon. Maybe I'll go back. To. It's all right. Anyway, what was the worst film you saw this year? Oh God, it was VHS Viral. Yeah, I, uh, I'm I, sick uh, of those movies. Uh, Make them footage. stop. I found. I, I saw bad found footage horror as well. Devils do. Devils do. <laughs> more like devils don't. <laughs> Okay, I'm sorry. I'm just gonna keep staring. I'm gonna let this. I'm gonna let this one ride out. I'm leaving you hanging in the wind, Jim. I'm done.
you know this uh we're we're uh we're about forty minutes into this podcast, which means that we actually made this longer than it was before. We wow. thought we'd rush through it and it would at least be shorter, but now it's longer. So those are our awards for this year. Jim it's over. You know what the next thing we do is? We read our list. No. We Wait. read our runners up. That's what I meant. Before we get to our top <laughs> 10, we have to tell our 25 through 11. Okay. I'll go first uh, really quickly. These are all movies that I liked a lot. I didn't love all these movies, but some of them I did love. Um, uh, Neighbors, just really funny people being really funny in it for yes. no, no no particular purpose, but it's good. I liked it. Oculus, constantly surprising movie. I love being surprised by a horror movie. Yes. And never see where this one's going, and it's just very good. I liked it. Enemy. Uh, it's. Uh, I don't necessarily know what it's quote unquote about. Uh, if it's uh, symbolic for something, but uh, I love the sort of very assured way it slips into s- surreality without uh, really calling attention to itself, and mm-hmm. and just sort of the building dread you get watching the whole movie, and it pays off. Even if the very last shot, I no fucking clue what it's supposed to mean. I think I do. It's a good payoff. It's about male insecurity. That's what the characters are doing. That doesn't necessarily what it means. I know. It's about male insecurity and therefore that the, ending. The broad. And therefore Famous. that ending? Uh, yeah, I don't know. being crushed by the weight of femininity. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I mean, I just read somewhere that spiders represent femininity. However you say the word femininity. I was kind femininity. of purposely trying not to spoil the last shot of the oh, movie. I thought it's okay. I, we're not talking, we're not going into depth about it, but. Okay. Uh, Interstellar. Uh, I thought it, I liked Christopher Nolan's approach to sci-fi. I liked that it w- didn't have exposition. I liked that it didn't waste your time with bullshit. It just told the story really economically. Yes, I like Especially that. for a movie that scale, that's really impressive. Mm-hmm. Um, Too Many Cooks, my favorite short film of the year. Just really, really funny. Like, kind of reminiscent of sort of the Adult Swim, Tim and Eric humor, but just a lot sharper and funnier and, and smarter. if you don't think it's a short film, you can sit on Patrick's dick. That's true. You can do that if you don't. Um, or maybe I should only reward people. If you do think it's a short film, then you get to sit on my dick. All right. Uh, listen up, Philip. Number twenty for me. Just really strong characters. I wish it followed uh, Elizabeth Moss more, but um, just because I got I, you get worn out. You get worn out hanging out with J- Jason Schwartzman's character in this. At least I did. It's he's a very exhausting person. Um, but I think it's I think it's a really funny, strong movie. Um, number 19, 22 Jump Street, hysterical. Uh, I don't necessarily know if it's funnier than the first one, but I think it's very close. Uh, I like that movie. It's pretty funny. A shitload. Uh, also very funny. They came together. Um, finally David Wayne movie that has David Wayne sensibility that I can fully embrace. I you know, cause him. I don't, cause role models just feels like, yeah, there's a bit of it, but it also just feels super like just, uh, compromised. Okay. Role models feels compromised. Yeah. Um, and then Wet Hot American Summer just feels whatever. I Shut just, up. I have no basis Shh. for it. I don't agree with you. That's fine. We can disagree. Number 17, Alan Partridge, Alpha Papa. Really, really great, sharp, funny movie. Uh, I saw it the one time and I couldn't stop laughing. And then I and then I came home from work and Regina was watching <laughs> it. and I So I caught the last 40 minutes again. And again, even funnier that time. I think that movie's amazing. Number 16, Force Majeure, really, really, really beautiful looking movie. Um, yeah. Really very clever. The The way it tells – it tells a very interesting story and the way it sort of lays its themes into the um, – in, into the sort of the motif, the visual motifs of the movie. And 
like the, the maintenance of the mountain and stuff, are, I think is really really good. I like that movie a lot. Yeah, I just don't like the bus stuff. I love the bus stuff. Okay, I think the bus stuff is great. Um, the wind rises. Uh, really great. My I'm an favorite. asshole. I haven't seen it yet. Yeah, and some people may consider this a 2013 movie. That's fine. You can. It's all arbitrary anyway. Um, but uh, but I uh, it came out in Chicago for the first time in 2014. So it's my 2014. It's a 2014 movie to me. Good one. And I thought it was great. Um, Joe, really good David Gordon Green movie. Um, yeah, kind of underwhelmed by the climax, but I still really liked it a lot. Yeah, yeah, the, it's it, it kind of goes in a predictable place, and yes. it's a little too negative and too cynical for David Gordon, like to really fit. Surprisingly David so. Yeah, it doesn't really fit. David Gordon Green, it, it he doesn't really have it in him to not empathize with his characters. So there's two characters in Joe who are just total un- irredeemable assholes, and it's like ah, this doesn't fit. <laughs> this doesn't fit the rest of this movie. Um, that is so naturalistic and so humanistic. Um, the Babadook, really, really great horror movie. Oh, you'll be hearing about that one more later. Uh, it's kind of the Babadook is kind of like just has all the stuff that a this typical booga booga like <laughs> monster pops up out of a closet kind of horror movies that have been been released for the past twenty years. Like, mm-hmm. like it has all of those same elements. It just utilizes them way better um, and just with better characters. Um, Blue Ruin, my number 12, is just a really good stripped-down thriller. Again, kind of an underwhelming ending, but yeah, it's a thriller. You know where it's going, so it doesn't bother me I as much. I did. Um, <laughs> and then my number 11, really, really close for... Really close second. Almost number 10, but at the end, last minute I had to flip these two around. Uh, my number 11 was Strange Color of Your Body's Tears, which is... Just a jaw-dropping looking movie. One of the most insane looking movies I've ever seen. It's beautiful. Every 30 seconds, there is some shot that I that is unlike anything I've ever seen before. And it's weird and it's nightmarish and it's surreal. And It looks too strange for me, but I will get through it eventually. I just wasn't <laughs> sure what to get out of it. Are you fading? Like, you're fading into actually talking. You started out doing this weird character. Like, it looks too strange to me. And then you're like, but you know, I'll, I'll end up seeing it. Yeah, I will, I will end up watching it in its entirety. You have one to of these least, days. This movie is it is on not, Blu-ray? Because if it's a gorgeously looking movie, I want to watch on the Blu-ray. It's in HD on Netflix. All right, all right, okay. Fine, that's good enough it's for not, you. It's not, not, it's not Malik. It's not like diffuse sunlight going through trees. Um, it's more like De Palma, uh, or Argento. Um, but you have to, I mean, it's not for everyone. It's, it's certainly, certainly not. It's so beholden to just being a weird playing around in sort of the, the genre tropes of Giallo, Giallo movies and other Italian horror movies and like Hitchcock and stuff that like, you're not going to get invested in the characters cause it's just so self-aware, but um, I'd say at least watch the first like 35 minutes because the first 35 minutes has one of the best sequences, horror sequences I've ever seen in my life involving uh, upstairs and downstairs apartments. Okay. And so that's my number 11. My number 25 is the first of two Elizabeth Moss films that have made my list. The one I love. <gasps> You're right. Yeah. Good choice. I'm proud of you. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm a little, it's a head scratcher, a little bit of an ending for me. Like we get, we, it's hard to, I don't want to spoil too much, but 
you know, once we find out what ha- what happened to Ted Danson, I don't know. And then we cut to, you know, well, she's making bacon. That's kind of where the movie falls apart for me in general. Yeah. That it gets bogged down in the plot and a little bit not and not the uh, sort of thematic implications of the premise. But I'm a huge fan of Twilight Zoney kind of premises and sure. like weird just. Uh, and it's also a you know nice um, commentary about relationships without being kind of overt. I liked it. I, thought it was I would good. say it's very overt. Okay, There's, it's literally a movie about a couple's going away as a retreat. Yeah, and for therapy. Maybe. <laughs> like I would say it's. It's maybe. about the ideal. Uh, what? So what's your number twenty-four? <sighs> I forgot. No, it's right here. It's called Mana Kamana, and I know at one point I think a character says something along the lines of. You know, things only started changing recently. And I feel like it's a commentary on change and just the inevitability of um, how characters experience change in different ways. But it's also celebrating the mundane ride that these characters have. And it's, you know, a bunch of different... So what, what, is this a documentary? Or yes, is this a, okay. I shouldn't even say characters. People! Okay. <laughs> these are actual people that ride this cable car um, up a hill... Somewhere in Nepal, I want to say, yeah, they go um, they go up this cable car, this interesting, uh, you know, sort of claustrophobic setting. The camera is completely. Like they're still. going up a mountain. Yeah, pretty much. Okay. And, you know, it's completely still, and you get to experience the ride with different characters throughout the entire film. There's old people. There's young people. There's goats. And you love goats. I, they're great. And uh, you can you know, feed them anything. You get like uh, young musicians taking selfies, um, old women eating ice cream, which you love too. I love ice cream. And you know, it's just a really interesting journey with different types of people. It's like these filmmakers who did Leviathan, which you loved, <laughs> just set up a camera in one shot. And decide, let's follow these people as they go on this journey. And sometimes people talk a hell of a lot. And sometimes people don't say a damn word. And you have to watch facial expressions. It's kind of mesmerizing. You know, I don't know if it has like a thesis. But it's just really interesting to watch. Because it's about observing people. Sure. In kind of a vulnerable state, I think, for the most part. Like some of them are just... I think they're going there to meditate. And some people are there just on this ride as a vacation. I I would say that like, it's... I don't know if I want to watch it because it's a long one-take movie that's just people on a bus or a cable car. But at the same time, the pitch for Leviathan would be like, oh, it's great. It's this camera on a boat and you watch fishermen work. Yeah. (laughs) I know, right? Do they interview the fishermen? No, they don't interview the fishermen. You just watch them. And then sometimes you see fish. Yeah. It's uh, just an observing experience. I should check this out. Uh, Which number 23? Nightcrawler. With Jake Gyllenhaal. So low. It should be higher? I, I'm just surprised. That's oh, okay. All. I'm sorry. It can be. You, you, should, <laughs> you should be sorry. No, I, no. Tell me, tell me about Nightcrawler. You've seen it, right? Yeah, I saw it. Okay. It's really good. Um, stars Jake Gyllenhaal, Renee Russo, and Bill Paxton shows up, which was cool. And you know us, you know, kids from the 80s, we love our Bill Paxton. You, you do. I don't always understand it, but you do. Wow. Oh. My number 22 is They Came Together, which is what we talked about earlier. Sure. David Wayne's um, second masterpiece. Sure. Keep going. Number 21 is a documentary called Citizen Four. Okay. Which I think you should see. What's despite, the premise of Citizen Four? Well, we just follow what's his name. Um, oh, what's his name? All right, sweet. Go on. <laughs> Next. 
I forgot his name. Is it Julian Assange? No. Hold on. Talk. Uh, <laughs> I am so done. I thought you were saying I'm so bored. Documentary again. Oh no 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 no! I this one is in the moment. No, this one... it doesn't matter. No, it's not talking <laughs> heads. Don't believe anyone. <laughs> it's the it's the the cine the, the cinephiles who cried good documentary. They said it's a good your documentary too often, and then you say, "Why is your well, internet so slow?" Um. Yeah, so we follow what's his name, Edward Snowden. We okay. followed Edward Snowden Jesus. into, uh, you know, um, into his hotel room as he reveals all this information, um, and we sort of learn a lot about what the government's been doing. And let me tell you, it hasn't been good. Um, okay, yeah. <laughs> I'm following. Yeah, yeah, it's a very tense movie. Um, you know, we're following a character who is, you know, basically exposing himself. And all these secrets that can get him killed, and uh, there's some chasing going on. There's some like weird moments of paranoia. It, it felt less like a documentary, more like a thriller. Uh-huh. The Cove, kind of in that regard. Oh, just like oh, this is more like a genre movie than a yeah. documentary. So um, I think you're gonna love it. I really do. Don't give me that oh, it's a documentary meh kind of no, thing. I'm, I'm, don't, 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 don't do, this. don't do that. This I'm not, being hyperbolic. Not this time, please. Number twenty is. A really interesting Hitchcockian thriller with a lot of ejaculate. It's called Stranger by the Lake. Okay. Yeah. Um, murder mystery of sorts, but um, it's also just about uh, cruising by a beach. Okay. And some rather interesting things go down, both literally and figuratively. So I think you're going to love this one, Patrick. It's a oh, great yeah. Hitch- Hitchcockian thriller. Okay. See it, please. Sure. Number 19. Again, are... I'm not watching any of these. I'm done with 2014. I already told you. No. I'm not watching another movie. I, I'm I'm only going to watch movies from the 40s from now on. Go on. But you'll like this one. It's Is it very from the 40... 40s? It's very much like the 40s, only with lots of cock. Number 19, Enemy. Yeah. You've heard of that one, right? I have. We talked about that. We did? Yeah. Oh, cool. Number 18 is How to Train Your Dragon 2. Mm-hmm. Which you're really excited to watch sometime. Mm-hmm. Number 17 is another one of your favorites, Ida. Number 16 <laughs> is called. Leave that one. Life Itself. Oh, yeah. You know, it's about this guy named Ebert. Roger. Yes, yes. You know, I decided that, yeah, it could be higher on my list, but I decided to, you know, again, the emotional bias kicked in for that one and made me go, yeah. Because you used to I, be annoyed by Ebert when you would go to screenings <laughs> and he would eat giant sandwiches with tons of onions. That's true. Yeah. That happened once and it was for Gigli. You can eat all the sandwiches you want during that movie as far as I'm concerned. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's a Steve James is a hell of a documentary filmmaker. I'm a big fan of all of his stuff. And, again, though, I mean, there's definite... I think the thing that makes that movie stand out above the fact that, like, yeah, he talks about how great movies are and why he loved movies and why we love movies and blah, blah, blah. The fact that Steve James got to film him in the hospital while he's dying and we get to see some incredibly devastating things, was it's, it's pretty brave. It's a pretty brave thing for the filmmaker himself to just go ahead and throw that in there and with Roger's blessing. And uh, it reminded me of me being in the hospital and yeah. having to deal with some crazy-ass shit. Sure, so, sure. Really moving experience, but I will say that a lot of it 
is personal. It's yeah, a personal yeah, yeah. bias for that yeah. one. Number 15 is a movie that I don't think anybody would put on their list except me, and that's a movie called Time Lapse. Okay. <laughs> You're laughing, but I don't know what it is. So I know, I most people joke. don't. Okay, what is it? I'm just laughing because I think it's a ridiculous movie that I just happen to love. It's a It directly rips off a Twilight Zone episode. Um, it has cliche dialogue, uh, a really bad acting performance, but guess what? I don't care. Why don't I, you care? I was glued to the screen. It deals with the paradoxical nature of time travel. It's about three friends who... Well, that's new. Thanks. It's about three <laughs> friends who come to learn that, uh, that one of their neighbors um, was in possession of a giant camera that was capable of taking pictures 24 hours in the future. Okay. And one of the greedy friends, of course, sees dollar signs by, you know, uh, betting on races. And another friend sort of sees the opportunity to expand uh, his artistic uh, abilities. And uh, it's, uh, you know, it sort of becomes like shallow grave a little bit, only with time travel. It's a, sure. So, again, kind of a little Hitchcockian, Twilight Zony, and uh, has some good twists. Hmm. For some reason, I just ate that shit up. It was my, like, time crimes of the year. I really loved it. I thought it was claustrophobic and paranoia and all that stuff. It doesn't reach the heights of something like Coherence in terms of coming up with a really cool um, idea and just sort of rolling with it in an interesting way. But um, in terms of, like, the kinds of escapist entertainment that I happen to love, it just pushed my buttons. Uh-huh. You know? Time lapse. It's not, it's not a movie that everybody's going to go... What's the next one? Number 14, a Sneerpiercer. Sneerpiercer? Snowpiercer. Okay, cool. Yeah, you like that one. Yeah, we'll talk about it later. Oh, we will? Cool. Yeah. 13, Wild. Okay. Yeah. Um, a surprise, because it's one of those movies I went, meh. I don't want to see another Into the Wild kind of a wild movie, you know, where the person is like, oh, I'm going on a spiritual journey. Let me go out into the woods. Patrick's favorite place. Yeah. You know? But um, Reese Witherspoon sold it for me. Okay, it's a personal movie. Um, you know, because you like woods. What, what makes it? <laughs> what makes it? What makes it personal for you? Um, well, it's a movie about a you know woman struggling with addiction who also lost a parent, decides to go on a soul searching journey of sorts, and I kind of did something similar to that. Certainly, to not to the degree that she did by going on this long ass hike for a couple months, but. Uh-huh. Um, I just related to it. I related to the struggle, the idea of like, eh, maybe if I just go for a long ass walk, maybe I'll find myself kind of a thing. Okay. You know, but it has, it's really well made. It's, uh, Jean-Marc Vallée, I think I want to say he did, uh, one of my other favorite movies from a couple of years ago called Café de Fleur. Um, he did Dallas Buyers Club, which I liked. Um, I don't know. It's just, he does some good, interesting things with editing. Um, just, you know, as she's walking on this journey, she flashes back to certain moments and, I thought it wasn't a cliche approach to that, and the way he incorporates music, it's like fast cuts yeah. and interrupting the song, and just interesting choices throughout the entire movie. I really liked it. I thought she was great, um, and the fact that she has to do a lot of her best acting scenes with silence and by herself was something I really dug. Uh-huh. You know? 20, 127 hours into the wild. Maybe it's just my thing. I don't know. That's fine. Yeah, what can I say? Yeah, yeah, old Joy. Oh, yeah, Old Joy. You like Old Joy a lot? Yeah. Number 12, We Are the Best! Exclamation point. Sure. Loved it. I'm a big fan of Lucas Moodyson. You should all check out Show Me Love slash Fucking Well, we're going to have a uh, Lucas Moodyson episode later. We better. This year. Not later tonight, but later this year. Uh, That would be unbearable. You look exhausted. I'm already (laughs) exhausted. 
You do a lot of voices sometimes, Jim. <laughs> I'll stop. Yeah. Number 11 is... No, more monotone, please. Those two. Too energetic again. Not quite my tempo. Number 11 is... No, nope. I'm sorry. I could still uh, detect the human. Uh, let's try it again. Number 11. No, I'm sorry. Uh, there's too much... Um, you can hear the gravel in your voice. Just just a hair. All right. Number... <laughs> number... What's your number 11, Jim? The Strange Little Cat. What is this? It's a, like a Jacques Tati film where hardly any plot. Hardly... Jacques Tati's alive? No, I don't think so. He did this movie called Playtime. Have you seen Playtime yet? No. Yeah, Playtime was posthumous. It's from one of his scripts. Really? So this is a Jacques Tati film? No, no, no. I'm sorry. It's not. It's very much like a Jacques Oh, okay. I'm... Yeah. All right. In, I thought maybe there was like some movie he made that was only released this year or something like that. Again, very observational. Okay. Very observational. Jacques But um, not a lot happens plot-wise. Mm-hmm. It's observing a family going through a lot of crazy things preparing for a dinner party. And you know how I feel about dinner parties. Um, you for them? I'm for them. <laughs> and it's, it's a weird movie where weird things happen throughout... Um, is there a cat in it that's weird? There's a cat. Or strange? There's a, there's a cat, there's a dog, there's a screaming girl. All these weird things sort of happen, and you don't know why they happen, but it's there's a hint of melancholy under all this absurd yeah. actions going on. So I'm not familiar with the director. I actually think it's like a, a student film blown to like 72 minutes of sorts, I think. Okay. I love this little film. Yeah. And it has a little cat. So that doesn't help. Uh, that I mean, sounds, that does help. Uh, I should yeah, say. That sounds pretty good to me. Um, before we get to our top ten, we should read one of our listeners' top tens. I forgot we had them. Yeah, we got listen. Well, we no, had no. we had them. After right. this episode, we don't. So uh, Robert Reinecke, uh, of course, from the Terrence Fisher episode. Oh yeah, and uh, Sean. Sean. No. Um, what else was he on? He was on Henry George Clouseau. Thank you. He was on the Henry George Clouseau episode. Thank you. So this is Robert. Thank you, Internet. Yeah, this is Robert Reinecke's top ten list. He said he's going to skip this list of shame and just get to what he actually saw. Number ten, twenty-two Jump Street. Admittedly, the best laughs were in the closing credits. Agreed, but I didn't laugh harder all year. Number ten, number nine for him, Force Majeure. Number eight, tw- tw- twenty thousand days on Earth. Admittedly, I'm a big Nick Cave fan, but this really worked for me. I don't know what twenty thousand days on Earth is. It's a Nick Cave documentary. I thought you put that on your list of shame. Yeah, that, meaning I haven't seen it. I oh. don't know what it is. It's just in a cave documentary. Oh, all right. Well, I'll skip that. Uh, Last Days in Vietnam was his number seven. Millie is a Talking Heads documentary, but man, where the stories told were great, including the most bad escape from a crashing helicopter ever. The footage assembled was wonderful, too. It summed up Vietnam with good intentions and broken promises in a microcosm. It's number six, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. <laughs> <laughs> Me and Jim are having fun with Google Docs right now, so I apologize for that. <laughs> Number six is Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. He says, Koba was the best villain, <laughs> villain, <laughs> best villain of the year. Uh, number five for him was Grand Puda Best Hotel. <laughs> number four. <laughs> I'm sorry. We're just, we've been just typing poop and shit to each other on this fucking Google Doc. We have to stop. Number four, Snowpiercer. I understand it's not for everyone, but I confirmed why Bong Joon-ho is my favorite South Korean director. Number three was The Lunchbox, or as Jim just corrected, The Lunchcock. Um, I didn't hear much about this on the regular podcast, but I found this Indian film to be just terrific. It's made to excite the senses, and a relationship told through the letters and suspense of wondering when they're delivered and read is palpable. 
His number two was Boyhood, and his number one was Under the Skin. He says, in general, I don't believe I saw a masterpiece for films that debuted in 2014, but I saw a lot of very good films. And his best memory was seeing uh, Eric Romer's A Summer Tale on a cold winter's night in a packed theater, and it just felt like a great tonic to enjoy a simple yet complex story with likable people, sharp dialogue, Romer and Linklater have a lot in common, he says, and lovely, warm landscapes. Romer may have been an old man when he made it, but he captured the feeling of young adulthood in a great manner. So thank you very much, Robert. Hey, thanks, Robert. I want to see the Summer's Tale. A Summer's Tale. I, I want to see any Eric Romer movies, for I have seen zero. Yeah, same here. I also need to... I know a, a good resolution to have would be uh, the guy who did uh, Tokyo Story. Ozu. Yeah, Ozu. I should see some Ozu. How many? Six? You want to say six? You want to say five? I want to say five. Five Ozu movies. Okay. In addition to 12... Uh, well, six ro- each, right? Oh, okay. Six each. All right. Yeah, six each. Six. I'll figure it out later. Um, I think we should go ahead and get to my number ten. What is it? We are the best. We are? The best. Uh, the We, in this case, referring to uh, three tween uh, girls oh. in Sweden in the 80s, but also it could just be referring to the film itself being the best slice of life movie I've seen in a long time. Oh, nice. I like that, Patrick. Time. This movie is so enjoyable. Oh, my God. I <clears throat> love these characters. Uh, it, is, it is a perfect... It, it's a, so it's a Lucas Moody Son book. Uh, it's a, no, it's a Lucas, Lucas Moody Son movie that's adapted from his wife's, uh, wife's graphic novel. Yes, and it just it can't like it's so well observed. It has to have been something that she herself lived through. Um, and it's it's just a really funny movie, and the characters are really strong. All the performances are very naturalistic, and sure. they're not overly precocious. And and the music is is great and. Just that, it's just a great context to see enthusiasm, <laughs> like, in a movie. Like, it, it can be fun to watch characters in a movies who are super enthusiastic, and it's, and it just is really great, and it's, it, it manages to not try to be something grander than it is. It's not like it builds to this big battle, like, it's about these um, tween girls who are into punk and they start and they start a band and then they uh, recruit the uh, Christian girl who no one talks to because she's an amazing classical guitarist. They recruit her to play guitar for their band. And it's sort of about <sighs> their uh, sort of dynamic between the three and they're writing this song about how much they hate their gym teacher. Uh, and hate the sport! Hate the sport! And um, they are going to be performing at this show, at, at this like Christmas show, at this other... Like, they, they practice at this, like, rec center, and they're going to be performing at a different rec center in a different town. And it's, like, very low stakes. Um, and that's sort of what, like, it kind of does the same things that you sort of associate with, like, a Cameron Crow or something, where it's just, like, this very enthusiastic story of these people discovering this music and, like, the way it changes their lives and stuff. But it keeps the stakes low, and it doesn't try to be something more than it is. Um, which makes it not sort of obnoxious to me the way something like Almost Famous is. And um, it's not a grand movie. It's not great. It it's There's not, like, stylistically, there's not a lot going for it that's like, like oh, wow, like I can't believe that's so fascinating what he did there. It's, it's very straightforward, but I can't think of a movie I enjoyed watching more this year. It's kind of rambly and ramshackle. Yeah, yeah, but absolutely. But you know what? I still love the fuck out of it because... It just reminded me of that time in my life. 
Yeah. Completely. And obviously it helps that like, yeah, I wanted to be a musician when I was that age and like that's the way I connected. Yeah, I didn't I didn't connect to it in that specific a way, but definitely the emotions behind everything. And just like the tumultuous relationships and just like God, people like just people being like these kids are so solipsistic that they're just constantly saying things to each other, particularly Clara, the character whose actress I, you know, voted best actress of the year, like She's constantly saying things that are just hurtful to other people, and it's just because she's not thinking, and it's just she just does things without thinking. She doesn't and, have a filter, but, but they're they're good enough. The, the kids are good enough people at heart that they forgive each other, and they're not horrible to each other, despite like bumping into each other in mm-hmm. awkward and weird ways. So it's not all like roses either. Like it, they they have drama, there's and they conflict, have you know. there's conflict. They have like home lives that are sort of unsatisfying that sort of explain sort of why punk is so important to them. But, um, yeah, it's really, really fun. Great movie. I'm like, I don't, I, again, I don't want to rewatch a lot of movies, but this is probably a movie that when I'm depressed or sad or whatever, I'll put on to, uh, you should get up. You totally should. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you. It'll put you in a good mood. It put me in a good mood. And honestly, when we watch uh, Show Me Love, Fucking Amali, you will see this style replicated once again in a very different way. It's about attraction at that age rather than just like, you know, connection through friendship and music. It's mm-hmm. about feeling your first big time attraction. And boy, oh boy, did I relate to that movie. Woo, Nelly. Fucking Amal. Yeah. And uh, I'm a huge fan. I need to see more Moodyson because I like two of his movies that I've seen so much. And We Are the Best is one of the best of yeah. the year. Get it? We Are the Best, one of the best. Oh, I got it. <laughs> Not even wordplay at that point, Jim. You're just using a word with its intended definition. Exactly. And that's what makes me laugh sometimes. And I'm such an easy laugh. It's. I will agree there. Thank you. Number 10 is a movie that Patrick doesn't have high on his list. But I think he at least liked it a little bit. And it stars Michael Keaton. Robocop? That, was that this year? That was this year. Oh, wow. I can't believe you liked RoboCop that much. No, no, no. It's not no, RoboCop. No, 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 Because no. the other guys was like a couple years ago. That's that was true. like 2012. Oh, no. I was talking about post-grad. Oh, post-grad. I love post-grad. Thank I can't you. believe I forgot. Yes. Yeah. Post-grad. All right. Alexis Bledel. Go ahead. Oh, you know I love her. Birdman. You're right. It is a film called Birdman. <laughs> Maybe you've heard of it. Yeah, I think it's going to get some awards and whatnot. Yeah. You know, it's about a bird who becomes a man. <laughs> no, it's um, about Michael Keaton, who's a struggling actor putting on a play of his life. It's not a struggling actor. Mm. It's a movie star. I thought he was struggling. No, no. He has, like, like, houses, he has, like multiple houses and stuff. Oh, okay. He, 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 like, the I think, reason, I think the he's artistically like, struggling, I thought. Okay. You know? Struggling actor usually implies something different. Okay, maybe I was just... He's, like, coming from the opposite end. Right. He's made it. Yeah, but I think he's just trying to step it up artistically. Sure. You know, he doesn't want to be known as Birdman. Mm-hmm. He's internally struggling, Patrick. Um, it, struggling it, actor is a phrase with a specific connotation, okay, Jim. Okay, okay, okay. Sometimes using but, words with the right definitions isn't just funny. It's oh, helpful. Oh, shit! Okay, go ahead. I gotta take some talking classes. But anyway, um... I was really into this film. I'm not even the biggest Inarritu fan, but um, I really... really well, it helps that this movie is a comedy. It helps. And his it's, other films are take themselves deadly seriously. Exactly. I laughed a lot. Um, I, thought, I thought all the acting was fantastic. And 
I just liked what it had to say, even if it's been said millions of times in other movies, just about ego. If that's that's all I have, yeah, it's about ego. It's a, it, well, it's a very simple. It's yeah, I thematically know. a pretty simplistic movie for as many for how it's swinging for the fences every ten minutes. Like every ten minutes, it tries to give some kind of like like knock it out of the park speech. Mm-hmm. Like honestly, I found the movie kind of exhausting for that reason. Like oh wow, because it's just. It doesn't have a it lot. It wears to, his themes on his sleeve. Yeah, too it doesn't much. have a lot to say, and but it says it so loudly and in your face. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and it's like. But I enjoyed it. Like I had a good yeah, time. I was I had a never good time bored. Too. I never was exhausted. I laughed. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's maybe it's just one of those simple experiences. I had a great time at the movies. You know, I mean, I I, I think I might even mention this. I don't know if I mentioned it in my review or where, but I was in a shitty place. And sometimes when you walk into a movie and you just want to be uplifted, and this movie did it for me at that specific place in time, like of all the movies on my list that I need to rewatch to make sure, like, you know, I was seeing it at a time when I felt really upset and I needed something like this. Maybe I'm watching it now and be like, yeah, it's got some flaws and maybe five stars is way too high for it. But at that specific point in time, I needed Birdman. Yeah. And, and it worked. I like the parts of it I like the most are the parts that it's just like, oh, why couldn't it just be a comedy? Why does it have to be take itself so seriously? Like it's not didn't like not compared it's to making fun not compared of... to Babel. Not compared to like Babel it takes itself seriously, not compared to twenty one grams it takes itself seriously. But compared to like noises off, it takes itself way too seriously. Maybe. Like like to me it was just like, oh I like all the backstage stuff. I like all the you know, I like Ed, Ed Norton, Norton coming in yeah. and just being this total cock of an actor and, like, just They're acting like an fun. asshole towards people. No, no, I know, but I'm just saying, like, then there's also, like, the tearful speech that Emma Stone has about her being in rehab or whatever. And there's, like, the five other tearful speeches that happen in the movie. And then there's the there's the, the New York Times theater critics' speech about the death of... Of theater and everything, and then there's another speech about something else that's so important, and then the ending is super serious, and it's and then and then it, and then it's like oh, and it's a little it's a little ambiguous at the end, and it's gone into magical real. Like it was just like those parts didn't work for me nearly as much as just like um, Edward Norton just throwing the glass at the wall and being pissed that it wasn't a real gin, like that kind of like if it was just a comedy, like that was just trying to be funny, but it felt like a movie that was insecure. Like it, oh, felt, it felt like it felt like uh, like they were insecure. unsure of itself. It, as far as like it felt like oh yeah we 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 don't have we don't have what it takes to be that funny. So instead we're going to be audacious, <laughs> and it's like audacious in service of what? And eh, kind of the same things. If it was just like if this was state and Maine, the themes would be the exact same, except it would just be much funnier and. But it's like, well, we don't have. It's like, well, we're not as funny as David Mamet. So instead, we're going to do State and Maine. But if every, but if Philip Seymour Hoffman had a tearful speech, and then Julia Stiles had a tearful speech, and then Sarah Jessica Parker had a tearful speech, and like, like it's just, no, I'd rather be watching State and Maine. I'd rather be watching Noises Off. I don't, I not the film version. I don't like the film version of Noises Off. But like the stage version of Noises Off is just like all of the things I like about Birdman, but perfectly executed in a really great structure. And then Birdman is like, I mean, Birdman's entertaining, and I, it's not like its audacity works against it. Everyone's super committed, and that helps a lot. But it just felt like it wasn't really in service of anything. I don't have a strong argument against that, really. I just it love it. It, like <laughs> you know, it's you know it, what it what's actually it's funny is you know like me like you know 
Magnolia is one of your favorite movies ever. And me, Magnolia is not nearly that. But I do like respect Magnolia and I like Magnolia. It's like to me, so. to me, like Birdman is like someone trying to do Magnolia but not having the ingenuity of Paul Thomas Anderson. Like it has the thing that Magnolia has where it's just constant epiphany and constant big climactic moment and the it's energy and the popular. camera flying around <laughs> everywhere and yeah, the energy behind the camera and just all of these intersecting stories and stuff. But it's like, but Magnolia is also, Magnolia feels way more audacious. Magnolia feels like I'm going to tackle bigger things with this. Magnolia feels like I'm going to do weirder things with this. I'm going to have the, I'm going to have a musical number in the middle of it. I'm going to have some weird things in Birdman. I know, but it's all like, but it's all safely couched inside of like, Dream sequences slash um, hallucinations slash mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. like it just yeah it just felt like it didn't feel hundred percent honest to me. Okay, I enjoyed watching Birdman. I'm not gonna say I didn't like it or it's a bad movie or anything, but uh, definitely a- people who have it in their top ten. I like I, I I definitely don't think it was one of the best movies of the year, but yeah, that's me. So that's that's our argument about Birdman. All right. Do you, do you, I mean, do you, do you disagree with what I'm saying? Well, I don't know. It's hard to say because, like, in, in I understand your point. I just kind of, like, how do I how do I state that I do think it's saying something interesting? But, again, it really is just about ego and that's it. Like, is yeah. there really a whole lot new going on in Birdman? No. But I thought the technical achievement was actually well done. I mean, I know a lot of people complain about, like, oh, you, you know, became so aware when it might have been cutting and blah, 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 that took me out of the movie. And oh, I, I didn't mind the one shot, so I don't think it's like, oh, this had to be one long shot. Like, I didn't have the feeling mm-hmm. I felt when I watched, like, the first 20 minutes of Gravity or something. Like, it didn't feel, like, essential, but I didn't think it was that distracting. I mean, yeah. it all takes place in one building, basically. I guess I just like this style, and I like this setting. Yeah. I like people who are full of themselves, yeah. trying not to be so much. And I don't know. I mean, it also I also frame it in the idea of a you know career resurgence for Michael Keaton too a little bit because I've always sure. loved the guy, and right. I just you know it, there's a lot going on. Um, it, it's just um, I, I I do agree that. You know, some of the preachiness of it gets in the way. I mean, there's definitely scenes of monologues where I'm like, yeah, it's sort of shifting tones that, in a way that I found to be jarring. But like, there are parts it wasn't of it that There's parts of it that wish this movie was like, like a tenth of of the audacity and like a tenth of the ambition of itself, and was just about how the play evolved throughout the multiple nights. Mm. Like, parts of me are like, if you just focused on the minutia of, like, how the actors changed, like, their performances and how, and, like, the tensions backstage, like, if it was just about that and it wasn't even a comedy, it was, like, that would be more interesting to me. I just, I don't, I don't like things that are calling attention to itself without purpose. Okay. I mean, I, like, the same way I felt about, like, Ida's cinematography. Well, it's interesting that my number nine and number ten choices are movies that are not necessarily groundbreaking, but I just thoroughly, thoroughly thought they did what they did very well. How about you going to your number nine? My number nine, then, is A Most Violent Year okay. by J.C. Oh, yeah, Chandor. The director of? Ugh. Margin Call, but I really liked All is Lost, you know? Um, so he's doing, oh, very, okay, yeah. Yeah, he's doing very different types of movies. And this is What's a, Margin Call again? I forget. Eh. It's like an Enron commentary. Oh, sure. Yeah. 
Not not very good. <laughs> it's like Kevin Spacey doing his House of Cards thing, only in like a stock market kind of thing. But um, A Most Violent Year is essentially a very well done homage to Sidney Lumet. Um, what, like late seventies, early eighties. Like 80s. what Sidney Lumet movies? Um, Prince of the City, just like um, these really like it brings up this sort of um, wire type structure where it's about one character trying to do one thing and do it well, but all these other um, influences come into play and some of them are micro level, some of them are macro level, some government, some of them just like individual that it's so it's like a, it's a good movie for social workers in some interesting way where you get to see a businessman have to deal with so much shit and all he wants to do is run his oil company and all these different things keep getting in the way, including a straight-haired Albert Brooks who plays, like, I guess his financial advisor of sorts. I can't remember. It's like, why can't you just let the free market exist? Am I right? Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. It's just, Really? Yeah. And so it's like a libertarian movie about how big government is interfering with the... No. With laissez-faire economics? Wow, look at you. Um, (laughs) These are very basic concepts I learned about in high school, but... No, that's true. But I just mean, like, it it sort of has that vibe going on, but again, it really is just about a guy who's trying to get his business done well, and the union gets involved, or, you know, some fucking gangsters want to fuck up his shit, Uh or other companies are coming in and trying to rough up his employees... And all these other crazy things just get in the way. But it's not like, oh my god, you know, it's a movie called The Most Violent Year. You're expecting, like... I thought it was a crime movie. There's parts of it, yeah, involve crime. But the main character's not a criminal. He's not a gangster. No, not necessarily. Not necessarily. Okay, okay. And... Fair enough. I mean, he does some shady things. Mm-hmm. And sometimes he's not even aware when other people that are working for his company are doing like, shady things. Like he things. hires the Pinkertons to break the oh, union? Oh, no. <laughs> No, 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 no. But, um, again, sometimes a great performance or performances are also enough to get me hard. I mentioned that before mm-hmm. on the last episode. Sure. Oscar Isaac, he is going Pacino places. I don't know what that means. He's sort of channeling. In the movie, or are you talking like you predict for his career? Maybe both. Maybe both. But well, in this certainly movie, at least one, right? In, in this <laughs> what movie, do you mean? In this movie, he's, he's definitely channeling Pacino from, okay. the, from that era. Um, and the director clearly just loves Sidney Lumet. Um, it's a very simple, subdued, not... I, I guess not, I don't know what's... I, I've, I mean, I've seen Sidney Lumet movies, but I've seen, like... I've seen, like, Dog Day Afternoon, and I've seen 12 Angry Men, and I don't nah, know... No, they're not like those. Like, what? Like Prince what? of the City. It's very much like... So that. it's just like Prince of... Not necessarily... Because when you say he's channeling Sidney Lumet, I don't know what that means. Um, well, when I was watching it, it did sort of remind me of Before the Devil Knows You're Dead without all the insane crime heisty elements. Sure. But just the tone of it is very Lumet. And it's not, you know, crime gets involved, people get intense, but it's a very simple, subdued, slow-moving movie with not a lot happening. But when things do happen, they come out of left field and they're unexpected and it's interesting, but it also has a lot to say again about capitalism. Uh So... Um, Jessica Chastain plays his wife, who also works for the company. Um, and I don't know. It's one of those movies that sort of I was completely immersed into, was unexpected. Not a lot happens, but it's just one of those 
simple stories told very well. Not breaking ground. By the end, I was like, oh, wow, that was an incredibly engrossing movie that I don't know if I'll rewatch again, but I certainly was enveloped the whole time I was watching it. And it helps that the performances are great. And I think you'll like it being a Wire fan. Sure. It doesn't have that same, like, holy shit moments of The Wire, but it does have, like, outside influences interfering with an individual and a business that reminded me of The Wire yeah. at times. So I think you'll like it, and I think you should see it, even though you're done with 2014. Uh, What's your number nine, Patrick? My, my number nine or your number nine? My number nine's under the skin. <gasps> so close, because that's my number eight. Okay, well, let's just talk about it then. Okay. As my number nine and is your number eight. I liked it. How much? I need to see it again. I've only seen it A one scale time. of one to five fingers. You liked it four and half a pinky. Mm-hmm. You liked it the full thumb, the three middle, and then half a pinky. The half a pinky goes into where it turns into Starman. Um, where she's eating a cake and like, ugh. Well, actually, he loved the pie in Starman. Yeah, yeah. So this, that is the anti- this is the opposite of Starman. If I know. You think about it. No, but it's just like the opposite of Starman is probably like shadows and. Fire. I am. I don't know. Part of me wonders if I hadn't read Mike D'Angelo's interpretation of it ahead of time, did it influence my reaction? What's his inter? I don't. I didn't know he had an interpretation. No, not interpretation. His review. Okay. <laughs> um. When I walked into it, I walked in having read his review ahead of time, and I almost wonder if like it implanted this subconscious thing of, yeah, I didn't like the second half as much as the first half. The first hour is like number one of the year, and then it goes to her trying to be more human, and I was less interested. I didn't think it was bad. I didn't necessarily like um, or dislike where it went. I just wasn't as like, holy shit, blown away yeah. by where it decides to go. Um, but that first hour is a mind fuck. It's a brilliant film. It's one of the best looking, sounding, weird movies that I've seen in a long time. What is, where's it going with um, her transitioning? I know she meets the deformed individual and lets him go, right? Yeah. And then all of a sudden she has an epiphany looking in the mirror and decides she wants to be more human. Is that my... No, the, the epiphany, ha- the, the mirror scene you're thinking of it happens after she's picked up by the guy on the bus and she has sex for the first time. Oh, no, I'm thinking, she doesn't she look in the mirror in the building? Oh, it's that- possible. I can't recall. Uh, but the mirror, the mirror scene, the full-length mirror scene where she's just sort of staring at herself yeah. naked in the mirror. That's not what I'm talking about. No, that's not what you're talking about. Okay, never mind then. Um... Yeah, I mean, my if you want to talk about uh, being incepted by Mike D'Angelo, like I can't think of this movie without thinking about the piece that Regina wrote on uh, Panda Bear Shape uh, yeah. dot uh, WordPress dot com. So for me, the movie is it's about um, sort of she has to fulfill these roles in uh, as a woman, and then the second. Where she's this seductress and it's just literally just like bang bus stuff. <laughs> and then she, you know, the second she tries to step outside and like enjoy something for herself that she is just smashed down by the world. And it's, I mean, it's heavily about trying to uh, conform yourself into gender roles that you don't necessarily fit into and stuff like that. 
Um, I mean, that's, that was my interpretation of it, but I mean, I, I agree with you that I, I love the opening half. I like all, I like all of it though. Um, really the only thing for me, and I haven't, I only watched it the first time. Um, and I want to watch it again, but the only thing for me that doesn't make it higher, cause it's such like, to me, this movie is the movie that would be the thing that everyone talks about. And that's just like singular and unlike anything else I'd ever seen. And it's just unexpected and, and weird and visually very beautiful. And like just the, that product, the hit, the way it was made was really interesting with those scenes in the van. And sure, like, sure. like there's just, and then there's just that, there's the scene with the, the deformed man and like, and just there's so much about this movie that is like fascinating. That's like, oh yeah, this would be the movie everyone's talking about. But I just found it really, really uh, impenetrable <laughs> the first time I saw it. And it's like it's yeah. only grown in my mind since watching it. But the experience of sitting in the theater and watching this movie that I couldn't get inside of uh, was not a particularly fulfilling one. As you know, as amazing as it was in other ways, it it wasn't like. I walked off and I felt like I had gained a lot. Um, so that's the only reason it isn't higher for me, but I should watch it again. If I watch it again, I imagine it would go higher, but I bet that'll happen with me too. Now that I know we all, this is also a movie that we've talked about before. Yeah. So I, this is why I'm a little hesitant to, to keep talking about it. If only because I don't want to just keep repeating myself from previous episodes and stuff, but I thought this movie is really incredible. And there's just like, you just think about like on a scene by scene basis, you just, there's no precedent for the scene in which she sees the man drowning and then there's just that baby in the sand and it's just like she just leaves the baby and like like it's not like well this is the scene where like you know so many of these movies even movies that are here in my top 10 like well this is the scene where this happens because this is what the character has to do and because she is so impenetrable and it, it lends itself to constantly surprising you. And that's just a re- really rewarding experience and something I didn't have of a ton uh, this year. You know, that's, that was the upstream color experience for me, but unlike upstream color where I ultimately landed on this movie was not a highly personal, yeah. you know, sort of very human emotional uh, interpretation of this, but um, well, the very end pissed me off in a good way. Like it made me angry. Like just what happens with her and that construction worker guy. Yeah. It pissed me off. Yeah. I, was, I, I mean, any movie that makes me feel anger or any emotion that strong. Honestly, of all the things about the movie that feel just – that feel very intuitive and strange and not constructed on uh, in obvious ways, the thing about the movie that to me feels the most contrived is her being lit on fire. Yeah. I would agree with that. And it's like – it's 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 the hardest to swallow it out of everything that happens in the movie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I think about the ending, I think about the last, where just everything slowly going white, yeah, and all the snowflakes are falling and stuff. Like that's what I think of when I think of the end of the movie. And the beginning with her trying to learn how to speak. I guess that's what's happening at the beginning of the very Kubrick esque close up of the eyeball and the. If it's an eye, if it's an eyeball, yeah, that's one interpretation of it, but. Um, Good God! Like you just hear, yeah, you just hear sound like vowels and sounds and yeah. stuff, and then you see just shapes sort of drifting into each other. Good God Almighty! Yeah, like that was that's great. Um, like yeah, no, this is a really, really amazing movie in so many ways. But it is. Uh, I don't. I didn't. But it just lacked that final 
thing. Like, I mean, I'm not a Kubrick fan because of this. Like, I need, like, a really strong emotional connection to push it over the edge for me. And that was Patrick Rapole saying that, everybody. What? Saying you need a strong emotional connection. You know, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Say you're like, yeah, people say, I, yeah, well, I analyzed it. I put it into my film computer, and it came out, blah, 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 blah. this is about blank, and this does blank. Like, you sound like Morgan Freeman and Lucy. This is about... This is about a woman who's who has all... She's looking for matter. She's eating matter and energy. She's a little matter and energy Pac-Man. I'm Morgan Freeman. Number seven on my list is a movie that's... Hey, talking. that's a... You're going to skip number eight, number one? First of all... You, I told you number eight was under the skin. Oh, that's right. Okay. No. You're right. That's my bad. But we should read another list. We should, because our voices are getting stupid. Yeah. Um, the next list is from Mike Flynn from the... Uh, Catherine Bigelow and Walter Hill episode, and uh, upcoming who episode? Larry Cohen. Larry Cohen, that's right. Uh, his number one through ten, uh, number one was The Guest, number two was Nightcrawler, number three was Gone Girl, number four was Whiplash, number five was Grand Budapest Hotel, number six, Interstellar, number seven, Lego Movie, number eight, The Raid 2, number nine, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, and number ten, John Wick. And then he gave a lot of... A lot of... I think he just filled out the entire Academy Awards uh, uh, categories, but with his own um, thing. So instead, I'm just going to go ahead and read a couple I've highlighted here. His best actor was a tie between Jake Gyllenhaal, Nightcrawler, and Michael Keaton, Birdman, with uh, Ralph... Uh, Ralph Ray Fiennes uh, from Grand Budapest Hotel. The, uh, his, the best action sequence... I guess this is not an Academy <laughs> Award... The best action sequence was The Red Circle, John Wick. Uh, Runner-up was The Entire Last Hour of The Raid 2, which I didn't get to because I hated that storyline. And uh, he said the best death was King, Kim Jong-un in the interview. Runner-up was Koba in Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. So, spoiler alert on both of those movies. Oh, uh, yeah. Dawn of the Planet of the Apes was good. The guest. The guest, huh? No, but what? I guess we'll have to talk about that when he's our guest. <laughs> good one. Not that good. Uh, <laughs> I'm an easy laugh. Yeah. Uh, so, what was your number seven, Jim? It's a movie that I think was going to be higher on your list, but um, and it's also a movie that it took a couple of viewings for me to absolutely fall head over heels in love with. Are you talking about Cabin Fever? Uh, zero effect or Kevin <laughs> Patient Zero or whatever because I didn't like that movie. Yeah, Cabin Fever Two with a bleeding penis. Yeah, God. Um, no, it's a movie called The Grand Budapest Hotel. Okay. Yeah, I mean it's a movie that we don't necessarily have to go into great detail about because it's Wes Anderson and he's doing what he does best. And we um, talked about it on the yeah, podcast again. We sure have, and it's fantastic. It's just one of my new favorites by him it's a wacky zany screwball-y kind of comedy that uh you know has a great lead performance great ensemble as expected uh wonderful visuals and uh you know a pretty good score um you know all the things that go into a movie sure he does them right and does them well and does it with uh, confidence this post uh cartoon this um <laughs> very cartoony at times yeah, the post, uh, what was his Fantastic movie? Fantastic Mr. Fresh. What was the movie of the train? Darjeeling. The post Darjeeling, Wes Anderson is a very pleasant direction for him to yeah. go. Yeah. Just these screwball comedies. These, I mean, you want to talk about, like, Lady Vanishes. Like, when I saw Lady Vanishes, it was shortly oh, yeah. after I saw Grand Budapest Hotel, and I was like, 
oh, that's where this is from. This, like, Eastern European, everyone's running around, and all the dialogue is super witty, and everyone's very erudite, and, like, every <laughs> like even in the beginning of Lady Vanishes, there is this, like, establishing shot where you see this train outside of this hotel, and the train just looks like a toy train, and it's probably just, like, not great special effects. But I was like, oh, yeah, like, Grand Poo... Like, oh, Wes Anderson, he was doing this. Grand, Grand Poo the Best? Grand Poo the Best. I love Grand Poo Best today. Yeah. yeah, I loved it. And I'm really excited to see more Screwball... Con- I think that was another epiphany I had watching this. I'm like, I gotta watch more movies like this. Yeah. There's not... There's not a lot of movies that are as... There's not a lot of... You know, from the golden age of screwball comedies, I don't think there's any. There's not any, but I don't think there's many that are quite as fast paced as Grand Budapest, just because of modern technology and stuff, and the way that a movie mm-hmm. like Grand Budapest nowadays can be edited. Um, but uh, yeah, um, it's uh, really good. And I was, I was trying to think of the movie that is that fast, and it's This Girl Friday. Or yeah, His, His Girl, Girl Friday. His Girl Friday. Um. But most of them aren't that fast. I know, but I love fast. Sure. Um, my number seven was Snowpiercer, which I talked about extensively, extensively on this podcast. But basically... It should be higher on my list, but I, I, I do need to see it again, and I loved it too. And, yeah, basically this was just like, why aren't comic book action movies this? Why are they never this? Why, why, like, why are people apologizing for, the, for movies like Captain America 2 being so generic? Captain America 2, by the way, is the only movie on my list. I liked Captain America 2. I was surprised. It's but it's generic as fuck. It looks the same <laughs> as it looks the same as every other Marvel movie, and it It had a talking computer. I'm just kidding. No, I will agree that the fact that even something like Guardians of the Galaxy, which is hilarious and joyful and fun and you know, surprisingly good. Uh, it has your climactic shootout craziness chase thing all Big, over again. beefy bad guy holding yeah. a MacGuffin. I mean, this has been my... I'm tired of that. I've been grinding this, I've been, I've been grinding <laughs> this axe all year. Sounds so, so white. I'm tired of that. I'm, 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 uh, so I'm not going to keep going on this, but like, just why can't they be as funny as Snowpiercer? Why can't they have as multiracial a cast as Snowpiercer? Why can't they be as interesting as Snowpiercer? Why they can't be, have action scenes that are as as thoughtful as Snowpiercer. Why can't they have just approaches to color as as thoughtful as Snowpiercer? You don't need a giant shootout at the end. You need, you need to establish, like fucking making an action scene, you have to establish geography and you have to hold the camera still so people can see what the fuck is going on. You can't just shake a camera at Patrick is kidding himself. He's so mad about that. I fucking hate modern action movies. I liked, I mean, Captain America 2 is the only movie that I didn't put on my list despite watching it because I just put, I just took out my laptop halfway through and was barely watching the second half because it's so familiar. I can't watch any more Marvel movies. I'm done with them. No more Avengers? You're not going to watch the Avengers too? I don't, I don't think I will. <gasps> Maybe I'll see it in theaters, but if I don't right. see it in theaters, I'm not going to bother. I'm not going to keep up with these movies anymore because they're garbage and they are generic and I can't stand generic movies. I think uh, both Guardians of the Galaxy and... Captain America 2 are good, solid B-minus movies. Yeah. But whereas Snowpiercer, it reaches the A-minus category for me, and that's rare these days for, you know, action movies to, like, elevate themselves. But yet, have familiar tropes, but they don't seem boring and tired, and 
I, I love the shootouts. And so I, the action everyone's sequence. like, oh, yeah, but this new X Men movie is really good. It's probably it probably has all the same bullshit. It's pretty that good. Makes me mad. I, it's another one. I it mean, probably the has a bunch of bullshit. This year were pretty good. It probably pretty has a lot good. of bullshit that makes me mad. Um, the bullshit is there. Okay. But I think I'm forgiving of the bullshit just because I'm like, no, I expected this to happen, so... That makes me less, that makes me less forgiving. If you, for, if you expect something to happen, that should make you less forgiving, Jim. Oh, shit. I'm too forgiving. Maybe. Number six is a movie... Wait a minute. Is that, is that where we're at? It is. Number six is a movie that surprises me to put this high. Oh, and I feel like something else like Snowpiercer should be there. But I want to go with this... I'm going with my heart. I'm going with my initial reaction once again for the imitation game. And it's one of those, okay, biopic, blah, blah, blah. Generic. Br- yeah. British thing. British? <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> what does that mean? Oh, my God. Like, I'm be- I am I just bet, like, something like Selma or Mr. Turner probably blows this movie fucking out of the water. But I don't care. I was moved. I was engrossed. It has scenes of a guy doing his fucking job really well. Cryptography. I don't know what it is about cryptography. It must be going back all the way to my love of sneakers. But I just love the idea of a guy breaking a code. You know, he, he was responsible for breaking the Nazi Enigma code and damn near ending the war all on his own with his intelligence. Not with, not with fucking guns, but with his brain. And that break that's the gun sound effect. <laughs> With fighting and guns. Fighting. No, I mean, uh, I think uh, Benedict Cumberbatch is really, really good in this. And I'm surprised at where it goes because I didn't know about the way his life ended. Are you familiar with uh, Alan Turing? We talked about this on the uh, Terrence uh, Fisher episode. Oh, okay. Yeah, Robert Reinick, you watched it then, so. Yeah. I only knew it after he told me. I was me very it. surprised that it goes into chemical castration and all yeah. that, too. Um, but it's a brilliant film. Um, it's one of those biopics that, yes, you kind of know where it's going, point A to point B to point C, but the acting is so good, the story is so compelling, um, surprises for me because I wasn't aware of his history, and it's just a, it's just a well-done movie. Again, yeah. nothing like mind-blowing, but at the same time, I can't deny my emotional reaction and just like... I was never bored. It was. It didn't feel like a stuffy, overdone biopic to me at all. It's a in the moment kind of scenario, and uh, hey, cryptography, pretty cool. Yeah, I, that that part is more appealing to me than anything else in the movie. That's what I think. If we'll it was, through it. if it was a, if it was a ninety-minute thriller about cryptography, parts of it are have that though. Right, but I don't know. I'm. It's probably good. I'll I'll try to see it sometime. But again, I'm burnt out on twenty fourteen movies. I'm not gonna rush to see it. Before oh, I get to my... I hope you at least see my number two. But we'll get to that. Um, before I, I get to my, num- uh, my number six, should go ahead and rush to another listener email. Or this at least was a guest. Um, Sarah Argadale, who was on the uh, book adaptation episode. Oh, God. She was great. Um, she sent us in a top ten list. Says, I love the book Wild. So I was initially skeptical when I heard it was being made into a movie. But then I was completely won over. Mm-hmm. It's a great adaptation of the book, and the movie loses none of the honesty that Cheryl Strayed's writing of sh- of the none of the honesty of Cheryl Strayed's writing, and does not fall into the easy eat, pray, love trap when dealing with a young woman trying to overcome challenges in her life. Right. Reese Witherspoon is phenomenal. Anyone who says otherwise is lying. So they I'm are not, lying to I'm you. I'm not a liar. It's not subjective. They're lying. I'm, All right. I'm so not lying. Sarah Argadel's 
Top ten list. Number one, Wild. <gasps> Number two, Selma. Number three, Obvious Child, uh, which made neither of our top uh, 25. It's in my top 30. It's in your top 30. I think you liked it a little more than me, but I, I think we both liked that movie. Yeah. Uh, number four, Gone Girl. Mm. Number five, The Grand Budapest Hotel. Number six, Birdman. Number seven, Inherent Vice. Number eight, Boyhood. Number nine, A Most Wanted Man. That's the John Le Carre, uh film with Philip Seymour Hoffman. Yeah, yeah, I liked it. All right, I I couldn't get through it. I couldn't get through it. <laughs> it was I, a little slow. Same same with uh, it. It was a little less eventful than uh, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, which I know is one of Sarah mm. Sarah's favorite movies. And uh, I had the same problems with both, which... Philip Silver Hoffman got me through it, but overall I wasn't as engaged as I'd hoped. Yeah. Um, the one John LeCar movie I'm totally into is The Spy Who Came In From The Cult. Which I need to see. That movie's real good. Uh, and number 10 for Sarah was Under The Skin, though I happen to know that... <laughs> um, yeah, I... I happen to know that our, that our close uh, runner-up was Guardians of the Galaxy for number 10. Yeah, it's worth it for the final shot of Little Groot. That's so great. <laughs> but again, yeah, it does fall into that category of like, oh god, shoot him up action sequence at the end. Okay, let's move on. Number six? What is it for you? There are some films every year that they got people talking. People want to know. Oh, I like people this. People want to know what's happening with this. There's buzz. 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 People bees. are buzzing around. It's like a swarm of bees. They all want to know what's going on. A movie has such energy radiating from it. Looking it has such honey. colors. Yeah. There are bees looking for that honey. Right. And sometimes that movie can be abrasive. Sometimes that movie can be can can be pounding, can be percussive even. Sometimes that movie's whiplash. And oh, number six. I thought you were gonna say magic in the moonlight. Magic in the moonlight. <laughs> the movie everyone is talking about. Um, no. Whiplash. Never heard of it. Still have yet to see it. Ugh. Yeah, it's a real shame you missed it. I know. Well, no, I was actually, I came, <laughs> I came, to, I came to Whiplash sort of, um, biased. I mean, you seen the short film first, right? Yeah, I wasn't biased. I was skeptical. Skeptical. Because I, because I'd seen the short film and the short film is just perfect. And I still don't know which I prefer, the the feature or the short film. I haven't seen the short film. Well, mm-hmm. you kind of have because the short film is just contained in the movie. Oh. The 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 first band practice where he's where he's sort of the alternate, um, everything from like the start of that when he's tuning up the drums and he asks the piano player to give him an A or whatever, and then everything everyone's tuning and dropping spit valves and everything, and then and then mm-hmm. J.K. Simmons walks in and everyone's fucking quiet and then you just see jk simmons terrorize that trombone player for not knowing he was out if he was out of tune or not right and then they have that conversation about like if his parents play and he says his parents don't play he goes oh you just have to listen to the greats or whatever and then they get back in and then jk simmons is fucking with him by pretending that he's really good only to just drag him down and then starts it ends in them slapping and then he goes and then he has the other person who is the main drummer sit back like that's where that entire thing to the point where the other drummer takes his place and he has to go back to turning pages. That is the short film. It has different actor. It's like shot differently. It's not literally. Uh, J.K. Simmons is still in it, but that's the short film. So that in its own is just amazing. Like that's maybe the strongest point of this film. 
And it's just, and it's almost a, it's this perfect anxiety nightmare, this like perfect encapsulation of just, you just, the power of J.K. Simmons and his character and his role. And in not fleshing anything out, he's just able to be this abstract source of dread, which I really enjoy. That's, I think, the strength of the short film is that in not fleshing anything out, it, it able to be a little more universal. Interesting. But, so I was skeptical coming into the feature length with like, how are they going to ex- expand this? Like, what are you gonna what are you gonna do with that segment of the movie? Like, is it just gonna be a competitive story about the student teacher and they're like they're they're like daring each other on and it's just and then at the end it's like, hey, you did good, kid, or whatever. Like, no, it's it, and it is that kind of, but it like it just does it really well. And Miles Teller is no small part of it. I think the fact that Miles Teller is a real drummer, like this movie, mm-hmm. one of the most astounding things about this movie is how much. It doesn't fudge the actual playing of instruments. Like you just see people who are really talented instruments playing, and you know they're probably not really playing. playing I think. Well, yeah, but they're not playing live, right. or maybe they are, but it's unlikely, uh, especially in some of the crazier parts of Miles Teller's performance. But like, like you know the ending and stuff. But it just like it's really energetic and exciting and invigorating to see that sort of thing happen. Um, so you know. That performance is no small part of it. Miles Teller is amazing. I hope, I hope Miles. I've liked Miles Teller since I saw the Footloose remake. I thought because he plays the Chris Penn role in the Footloose remake. Yeah. That yeah. Pretty much Craig Brewer discovered Miles Teller, and I love Miles Teller and everything I've seen him. And he's so good. He's so charismatic, and he's so offbeat. Yeah, and a little John Cusack like in a way. Uh, except not not traditionally handsome though. That's the thing. Like, that's one of the big things I like about him, is that he's... He's got, like, scars on his face, too. If you see close up, there's, like, you know, some really... Yeah, he, uh, Miles Teller was in a car accident. Oh, wow. So, he has scars on his face. Sort of like Joaquin Phoenix has scars. Yeah. Um, so, anyway, like, he's a great actor, and obviously, J.K. Simmons, everyone knows at this point, like, J.K. Simmons just destroys that movie. And... But for a while, I wasn't completely sold on it being a feature film. I liked it. I thought it did a way better job than it had to in adapting that short film to a feature film. But it felt a little... It still felt a little too conventional, slash... It didn't... Like, there's that scene at the dinner table where it's just, like, kind of stacking the deck. Like, his family doesn't fucking care about his drumming. And it's like, well... It's very social networky. That moment. Yeah. It, well, it, it, and it's also like, you see video of him, he's been drumming since he was four. How does his family not care? Like, it's just like very easy deck stacking where it's like, all you need to do to sort of provide the context for how far he is removed from the regular world is just to have that relationship with his uh, brief girlfriend, you know, the the woman is briefly his girlfriend. And just how quickly that turn that goes to shit. Yeah. And what's funny about that scene where he breaks up with her is he's being a total dick, but also he's doing the right thing. I know. It's a weird <laughs> feeling I had during that moment. It's like, like, that's actually like way more responsible than the average yeah. person his age would do. But at the same time, he's being a total fucking cock about it. Like, uh, absolutely. That's so, why I thought it was an interesting complex character. And I thought for sure, oh my God, if this movie cuts to a shot of her in the audience with her new boyfriend, I'm going to be fucking pissed. Yeah, no. And thankfully, it doesn't do that. Like... It, and in fact, it is that ending where mm-hmm. where there was that there's the one oh shit moment in that ending, mm-hmm. and then there's the second twist, the second oh yeah. fuck moment of that ending, and that is 
And I again, I don't want to uh, spoil anything Shh. needlessly, but that that ending to me is just like such an amazing payoff, and that that scene is so good that it was ju- single handedly justified being a feature film. I loved watching Whiplash. It was really exciting and invigorating. I thought all the performances were great. Um, you know what I love watching? But I think I think I think I might have liked it even more had I not seen the original short film. You know what I love to see? What? I love to see other people contribute to our show, which is really nice of them to do. Yeah, we should read another list. All right. Bill Ackerman. Uh, guest on the Nicholas Rogue episode. Guest on the Tarkovsky episode. Longtime listener. Uh, one-time snubber, or snubby, we should say. Cause snubby? He sent, a, he sent us a top ten list that we didn't read <gasps> once. That was mean of us. And that was overlooked of us. But anyway. Mm-hmm. This oh time boy. we're not overlooking him at all. Oh, boy. I went to the wrong part of the Google Doc. Hold on just a moment. Number one is Under the Skin. All right. Number two, Inherent Vice. Number three, Citizen Four. Number four is Ida. Number five is a movie I haven't seen called Wetlands. Number six, The Dance of Reality. Number seven, Enemy. Number eight, The Grand Budapest Hotel. Number nine, Nymphomaniac. Hmm. Number ten, The Strange Color of Your Body's Tears. All right. And then he also said, I decided not to be a dick and incorporate three of these <laughs> into my top ten. But these are his favorite 10 2014 films that haven't been released in the U.S. yet. One is Jaja. Uh That's J-A-U-J-A. Uh, number two is Eden. Number three is La Sapienza. Uh, number four is Arsunhi. Number five is Blind. Number six is Hard to Be a God. Number seven is Misunderstood. Number eight is The Wonders. Number nine is hu- Human Capital. And number ten is Pasolini. And he says his most anticipated for 2015 are Carol... Cosmos, Midnight, oh no, Midnight Special, Ned Rifle. Hal Hartley movie. Ned Rifle is? Yeah. Okay, so I'll notice, skip that one. Um, <laughs> For the Plasma, The Fool, Silence, Green Room, The Hateful Eight, Phoenix, While We're Young, and A Pigeon Sat on a Branch Reflecting on Existence, which is... Uh, the title of the year. That's, that's a student film, it sounds like. <laughs> Can you tell me your number five? The Babadook. Babadook. Yeah. The Babadook. The Babadook. Faster. Babadook. 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 Yeah. Good choice, Jim. Um, And that's because it's one of my favorite horror movies in a while. Um, Really intense, really interesting portrayal of a, a mother on the nerve or a mother on the verge of a nervous breakdown of sorts <laughs> dealing with loss and grief and uh, an interesting letterbox review that talks about it potentially being about substance abuse that I did not pick up on at all however a, a, who's interesting huh who's interesting letterbox review somebody i i think I, did i mention this before i feel like i've mentioned this before i didn't hear it okay strange okay go ahead. but anyway yeah, when I read that interpretation, um, I was like, hmm, I don't see that per se, but I'm curious to see if it's actually there, or, you know, everybody can have a different interpretation of movies if they want, but I didn't necessarily see that. Um, but I would really like to rewatch this one, too. She, she doesn't actually do any substances. No, but that's their, 
like she spits or she vomits up black goo at one point, I think, and she just has certain symptoms of withdrawal. Okay, insomnia. Um, I don't know. I don't understand like where they get that uh, perspective on the film, but I just, I guess I can see you know it's a possibility if okay. that's what she's struggling with. Um, other than or on top of her grief. Well, I don't care what that letterbox person has to say. I would want. Oh, you want to have to say, Jim? That's what I said. I mean, I, <laughs> I say it's a, a brilliant portrayal of a mother dealing with loss and grief, and um, you know, in this, in just difficulty being a parent and not knowing how to uh, discipline her child, and dealing with a child that's kind of out of control and not knowing why, per se. Um, and you know, there's a moment where she's not necessarily hesitant, but definitely. Um, unsure about, you know, treating it with medication, so there's that component going on. It's not necessarily the central thesis at all, but it's certainly a part of, like, how do you, um, you know, handle a child that's out of control? And I also think it has, like, kind of the inversion of something of um, New Nightmare, where, you know, a really crazy, off-the-wall child, you know, decides to, you know, act out in certain instances, and there's a scene in here where her child goes on a playground and you know, climbs on top of something, and we I cut, did. And we cut. I, I was wondering we what cut. you were. Ta- I was talking about what you were. I was wondering what you were talking about with New Nightmare, but because I was like, "What? This isn't New Nightmare." But um, I did think, "Oh yeah, that, that's a rip off." That scene at the playground was like, "Oh yeah, this is a rip off of New Nightmare," but it's done right. Yeah, you know, like in that scene, you know, New Nightmare, Wes Craven literally has. He was preaching for God, yeah. you know, and just having him fall in slow motion. But in this movie, it just cuts to the screaming child in the back of the car. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a very audacious The editing film. of this movie is good. Oh, yeah, it's very, very good. And the acting's very good. Um, you know, and, you know, the end, she has to sort of keep her grief at bay, so to speak. And, you know, that's the thing that is kind of baffling a little bit is just... Is this actual entity real in the basement and she has to take care of it or something? Feeding it? Yeah, I mean, it's ambiguous whether or not... I don't know if it's necessarily a super um, interesting ambiguity because instead of it being ambiguous whether or not... Like, it's ambiguous whether or not it's all in her head, but it means the same thing either way. Yeah, okay. Like, it's about the same thing either way. It's just a very strong metaphor for PTSD. Okay. Like, it's... So, I don't know... That was my interpretation of it overall, too. Yeah. Just dealing with PTSD. Which is, like, the idea of just, like, you're not going to be rid of it. You're not going to be cured of it. You just learn how to deal with it. And some Mm -hmm. days are better than others, you know? When she comes back up in the basement, she's like, oh, he's quiet today. Yeah. You know, like... Yeah. So, like, the the idea of her losing her husband is... It's not like, well, and then she dealt with it, and then she was happily ever after. It's just... It was an ongoing thing, but she learned how to deal with it. Is to me, and then whether or not she's going to the whether or not she's going into the basement and freaking out on her own or whatever because she needs quiet time to deal with it, or whether or not there's a literal monster who she has to feed, <laughs> like it means the same thing, which is that she's just living with this um, with yeah. this trauma. Yeah. Great flick. Yeah. Great fucking flick. Flick. Yeah. Is it a good flick? Yeah. Would you say, uh, would you say, well, well, okay, so that's maybe the greatest flick of the year. What would you say is the best, uh, the, the best motion picture? Uh, we'll Let's, find out. Well, what, okay, so 
I think at the end of this, we need to determine what's the best flick, what's the best motion picture, what's the, the best, best movie, film. what's the best film, and what's the best picture. Okay. Like Martin Scorsese's style when he talks about a picture. Right. 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 What right about picture. the best joint? The best joint. Well, um, next year is when uh, The Sweet Blood of Jesus comes out. Ooh. And that will be the best joint. Sweet Blood of Jesus is going to come out all right. Yeah. Uh, we got to read another list. I'll do it. Okay, hit it. Um, do you want to comment? Oh, wait, wait, where are we? We're Carolyn Reinhardt. Reinhard. Okay. Movies I really enjoyed include Snowpiercer, The Zero Theorem, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, uh, The Lego Movie, <laughs> Gardens of the Galaxy, Captain America the Winter Soldier, Boyhood, 22 Jump Street, How to Train Your Dragon 2. I'm sorry, I'm fucking with Jim some more. Grand Budapest Hotel, Mood Indigo. And movies I thought were good. Edge of Tomorrow. Noah. The Raid 2. The Wind Rises. Muppet Smokes 1? Hmm. Nymphomaniac Part 1 and 2. The Overnighters. Movies I disliked include Godzilla, Devil's Due, and Deliver Us from Evil. Movies I hated. Maleficent. And Robocop. Good stuff here. Sure. Um, Yeah. I never saw Muppets Most Wanted. I didn't see the Muppets movies. Oh. Uh, that's okay. Yeah. But I do want to know what your number five is. Well, sometimes there's a movie. Every year there <gasps> seems to... Selma. It's Selma. Uh, Selma Hayek? It is the movie Selma. It is not entirely... It does not entirely askew sort of prestige picture formula. Um... The actual like structure of the script is very similar to what you might expect it to be, but it does a many other things that are very much subvert that. Number one, it is incredibly intense. I can't. I don't want to spoil anything, but it just starts with the most vicious tragedy, and then it just doesn't let up. Um, and the the human cost depicted in this movie, human cost through violence, the human cost through just like what Martin Luther King Jr. had to give up to do what he had to do as far as a normal family life and as far as being um, mm. harassed over the phone every day of his life and not being able to like do have the luxury that he could have because it would give off a bad sign. He's a public figure, so he has to have this like tiny house that he's never around and he doesn't get to see his wife and like the cost it has on their marriage and the cost it has on all these people and the it's it like it is all about that, and it is. I'd, I'd say the main thing that it does that's really good, as far as being a movie about civil rights, is it's a movie about the civil rights movement that takes place after the civil rights bill has been passed by Lyndon Johnson, which means mm. that it doesn't have the narrative that these kinds of movies often have, where it's like things were really bad, and then a few very brave saints they suffered. And then now, we live in paradise. Congratulations, everybody. There is no happy ending to this That's movie. That's not how it is. There's no happy ending to this movie. They, you know, uh, spoiler alert, the voting act gets passed so that blacks are not disenfranchised and they're able to vote in the South. That, But there is no easy catharsis. It is all about, it's still all about cost. And, and so taking place after uh, civ- the Civil Rights Movement has signed is just in its structure... Um, an accusation that 
equality was never was not reached through that and then, you know, mm-hmm. by association equality was never reached and has not been reached. I mean, no, then, no. This movie is full of police brutality and in this year, this is an important movie to have those kinds of images. And this is the kind of movie that like Cloud Atlas because I felt like there were a lot of things going on with gay rights and suicide and the and gay marriage and stuff in 2012 when Cloud Atlas came out yeah. and that was like a really important movie for me to see and it was really emotional and it's a movie I haven't rewatched because I'm afraid that it's maybe not so good and maybe I was just like overwhelmed by it tapping into something I was feeling at the time um this movie maybe was is just tapping into something that is you know very important to me and stuff like that and maybe and maybe it's so and maybe this movie is just so of its time and so important and so needed right now in this moment that if we were to look back on it in 10 years, it would have lost its That's uh, what I'm wondering. Is, it ele- is this movie being elevated because of Ferguson? No. Okay. It's, it, this movie works especially well because of those things. Yeah. But this movie isn't like, well, we had to pick... Well, because Ferguson happened, we're going to pick the civil rights movie. Like, this movie... That's what I was afraid of. No, 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 no. This movie is really good. There And it's... Directed by a black woman, and that... Who did this? Yeah, I don't know much about the... Um, I don't know if she has any other major films to her credit, but... So, like, it's obviously already a good thing that this story is being told by a black woman and not some, you know, prestigious white director who wants to have Oscar bait. Like, it's good that Clint Eastwood isn't doing this fucking movie, right? It's good that it isn't Ron Howard, you know? It's good that this is a movie... Yeah. And so, like, that's just on its own good. But there's also kind of unexpected things that this movie benefits from, from having a, a black director that I would not have uh, thought of. Well, such I've as done three other movies before, so I'll check them out. Have you heard of them? No. Okay. So, like, the accents are thicker. Like, the characters, you know, like, this is... No, make mistake. This is about a civil rights movement, so it's all about, like... So they actually are dealing with, like, the logistics of, like, well, how this looked to the public. We're an organization. You know, Malcolm X is briefly in this movie, and Martin Luther uh. King's work is seen as a direct antithesis to Malcolm X. And and sort of, like, so he's very much the friendly public face of civil rights, and they're, and they're all about image. And they're worried, they're worried about image. And that's – so, like, these are all very educated – um, mostly uh, religious preachers and stuff who are the the key figures of this movement of this organization. So they're all like well spoken, you know, and they're because they're all educated, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. But like the characters who aren't educated, they're allowed to have conversations in their dialect that I think I don't know if a white director would allow them to even speak in that with the accent so thick because the assumption would be. Well, you know, like that might be how people actually talk, but we have to worry about the audiences who don't understand what you're saying. And there's a lot of this movie that just feels like concessions are not made to white audiences. There's no white character. Like the the role that white people played in the civil rights movement isn't uh, isn't erased. Like the big the big march that happens, um, you know, uh, from uh, Selma to Birmingham, like that is. You know, that was in large part because Martin Luther King called upon people from all over the nation to come and march for the for the voter rights. And, you know, all sorts of white people are shown there. And it's, it was very important as far as like, well, this is how we get a crowd that police aren't automatically going to kick the shit out of is if white people are there, too. So like but there is no like white character who saves the day. 
Like Lyndon Johnson uh, is a well, Lyndon Johnson is a prominent character in this movie, but Lyndon Johnson is just shown as like barely tolerating any of it. Like Lyndon Johnson drops the N word in this movie, and he's the one who eventually signs the voter rights bill, which is like so good. It's so fucking good that it's just like literally at one point he says to the governor of Alabama, "Why don't you just let the N words vote?" Like, <laughs> and it's like I fucking love that the the president who signed both the Civil Rights Act and the, the Voter Rights Act, like. They don't let him be the great president who helped all these people. They yeah, like they don't put him on a pedestal, right? right. Yeah, and it, like there's a lot of stuff like that in this movie. There, and it's about the move. It's about the movement. So it's about like what it takes, all the organization that goes into it, all the people that put their lives on oh, the wow, line, okay. all the. But it also like doesn't pretend that Martin Luther King was some saint. You know, hmm. it helps that Martin Luther King is played by an actor who I've never seen before. So the, like the first face you see is his, and he's practicing a speech for the Nobel Peace Prize. Um, but he doesn't, but like, you don't necessarily know it's him until you sort of like pick up on the context because he's not like, well, here's the famous person. Here's Denzel. So that must be him. You know, like it's just, he's just, it allows him to sort of sink into the crowd and to be one of many, many people who fought to have this happen. Um, it's really, really good (laughs) and it's really intense and it's, it's like cinematically and formally and stuff. It doesn't do as many things that I find as fast. There's some things it does, one of which is right at the beginning and I don't want to spoil, but there's some things that are like just jaw dropping choices they make. Okay. But, um, shit, it's not like, a, it's not a movie like, um, you know, uh, whiplash or under the skin where you're just dazzled at the technique of the f- filmmaking. Right. You know what? I skipped my number eight. That's fine. We'll, we'll do my number eight. Because because we did my number nine and your number eight at the same time, and then we both did our number seven. Oh shit! Because my number nine, and your number eight was under the skin. Right. Anyway, Selma's amazing, and you should really see it. I was I was crying through most of it, and again, I don't know how much of that is just due to the fucking year we've had uh, as a country, but I don't think that you can like hold that against this movie. You know, it does, it's not fair to be like, well, of course they like it. It's it speaks to the times like that fucking impressive thing for a movie to do, you know? Yeah. So most definitely you should definitely, uh, see some. We are experiencing technical difficulties. Please stay tuned while Jim and Patrick get their shit together. Thank you for your cooperation. (laughs) Quick. My number eight is Cheap Thrills. Oh, yeah. We skipped it. Cheap Thrills is an incredible movie. It's perfect. It, it knows exactly what it is. The only thing I don't like about it is it just has the thing that most indie movies have now, or most, like, super low-budget indie movies have, where it's just sort of handheld cameras point and shoot, and it doesn't really have any sense of style to it. That's probably the only criticism I would have. I, I thought it was one of the more enjoyable movies of the year, but it wasn't elevated to, like, oh, my God, this is going to be one it of my in a, Seeing a crowded theater helps. Yeah, that's probably it. That's probably it. But also, I think it's a really good anti-capitalist movie. Yeah. Um, Definitely Pat Healy's best performance to date. He's always a guy who likes showing up in movies and small bit parts. But yeah. But he rules in this movie. He does a great job. Yeah, he's really good in this movie. And it it's such a brilliant concept. And mm-hmm. it does everything right. There's so many instances where I'm like, oh, there's going to be some kind of twist ending. Or, like, it helped going into Cheap Thrills not knowing the premise. Yeah, I kind of knew. You knew? Yeah. When I went in, I didn't know what the premise was, so I'm like, oh, they're going to rob him or whatever. And then I didn't know where it was going to go. But you keep 
there's like there's all these moments where it could go in for a twist. And when I when I talked to uh, the director E. L. Katz after after the screening, I was telling him this, like how impressed I was that there's no twist ending in this movie. There's no like oh, and there was no money the whole time, or he knew, or they were in on it, or this, and that's like he was saying like there were many drafts of the script where like <laughs> the character that uh what's what's the actor's name? Pat not, Healy. Not Pat Healy. Um, the the rich guy. Oh, David Keckner. Yeah, David Keckner's character at one point was more like a jigsaw character who was oh like, yeah, or like who like that. had speeches about like capitalism and right. and stuff like that. And like and it just cuts out all that, that shit and it it all the same themes work mm-hmm. amazingly and it's so much fun and so exciting and so scary to watch and uh it's it's a singular movie. I can't really think of a movie that's like it. Um, I would agree. I think if I watch it again, especially in a crowded theater, I'll, I'd like it even more. Well, you won't get a chance. It's never going to play in a crowded theater. It should be in a midnight movie. It'll be fun. It, yeah, I'd love it if, if Cheap Girls was a midnight movie. And it's kind of like a little bit of a cult following, but I can't see it being that big a deal. I'm excited to see what that director does next. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Much like number four. Um, before you get to number four, I think we need to... That's right. ...read another list. Do it. Uh, actually, we have to listen to another list. Let's listen. Andrew, Andrew James has a nice, <laughs> nice long list for us. So here we are, Andrew James from the row three. Turn down for what? Hello, Patrick Rapole. Hello, Jim Laskowski, and all of the listeners of the Directors Club podcast. This is Andrew James from the Row 3 Cinecast. Happy New Year, everybody. Welcome to 2015. I was asked to share my top 10 movies of the year with all you guys via a comment or a voicemail. Much easier for me to just talk. This is the way I'm comfortable doing it, so this is it. This is what you get. Probably a lot more than you bargained for. So here they are. With a quick disclaimer, I'm not seeing Selma or Inherent Vice until two days from now. So I'm anticipating one of those, if not both of them, uh, possibly at least, cracking my top ten. So this could change a little bit. Uh, Plus I'm doing a lot of 2014 cramming over the last few days too. So um, that is an asterisk to this list. But without further ado, here we go. So number ten is Draft Day. Yes, Draft Day. Everybody hates it. It got panned by critics. Nobody likes it. I just watched it last night, and I loved it. It is aimed... It is like... It is kind of like Moneyball, but for football uh, fans, except for it's totally not for football fans. It's for people who don't know really much about football at all, and it just makes up this whole fantasy version of draft day like it's just like kids trading baseball cards in their backyard i mean it's it's super fun the tension is always there it also kind of brings back my like of football all the characters i mean outside of some drama is they're likable people they're not all thugs and wife beaters and child abusers and uh drunk drivers and stuff it kind of restores your faith in in humanity in sports anyway Draft Day, I thought was a lot of fun, and I'm also a huge Kevin Costner fan, so there's that. Number nine, Force Majeure. Again, this is a late entry. I saw it maybe a week ago. 
and wow is it Kubrickian. Number eight, Whiplash. It's the best. It's Oscar bait, but it's the best kind of Oscar bait. And plus, I was a drummer in high school, so I kind of know a little bit about the the feeling in here. And uh, J.K. Simmons is great. Miles Teller's great. And possibly, well, definitely in my top three scenes of the year is the last 10 or 15 minutes of Whiplash. Just wow. Number seven, Edge of Tomorrow kind of a surprise entry for me i mean but it's it's kind of stuck in there all year ever since i saw it it's the action movie uh version of groundhog's day and with great comedy and i love it and tom cruise is the last american movie star um and he's still kicking it out of the park every time number six interstellar i don't know it would seem kind of divisive for a lot of people uh I just loved all the science behind it. Even if it wasn't all perfectly accurate, I really liked the time delay uh, stuff and and working with that and feeling with that. I didn't care so much about the kind of almost uh, apocalyptic future on Earth, but I did enjoy uh, trying to wrap your head around five minutes here equals ten years there and working all that out. I thought it was really fun and creative and interesting and wow, did it look great in 70 mil on the IMAX screen. Number five, Nightcrawler. Another kind of a surprise. Uh, just creepy, icky, gritty, intense uh, performance from Jake Gyllenhaal. He's just snake-like and um, there's a bunch of 80s movies, uh, homages sprinkled throughout the thing i'm totally winging this by the way guys uh anyway nightcrawler is um just this seedy underbelly of the city that was so fun to crawl around in for a while number four the grand budapest hotel everybody loves the grand budapest hotel it's funny it looks cool uh it's funny and it looks cool and uh it's really funny too so i it's up there in my favorite wes anderson pictures Number three, Coherence. I won't say much about it because it's super spoily to do so, but it's basically uh, a very super independent film. Um, a bunch of people are at a uh, having a dinner, and a comet goes over, and then really weird stuff starts to happen. Um, I, I just don't want to say more than that. It's just one of those one-room dramas, like eight people in the cast and they all are interacting with each other and crazy weird stuff i watched it in bed like really late at night and it actually kind of creeped me out and the interesting thing is the whole thing is improv there is no script the director said i want you to take note of this prop or maybe make mention of this otherwise just go and wow what turns out is amazing number two birdman blew me away with the performances the story the the commentary on criticism uh michael keaton i've always been a fan of michael keaton super fun to have him back uh and edward norton arguably the performance of the year it's it's astounding i really really enjoyed it even the the flashy seemingly one take uh style of filming although clearly it's not and i like the fact that he doesn't try to, like, trick us. I mean, it's clearly not one take. It just kind of looks like one take. Um, and that was all intentional. And it's beautiful and just so well-performed and captivating from start to finish. And 
a pretty awesome drum score as well. Number one, no surprise, I've been saying it since March that this was going to be on a ton of top ten lists, a ton of number ones, and for the first year in Andrew's recorded history of such things, the Academy Awards might get it right. They not only will nominate the movie that I think is the best movie of the year, it's very, it's got a really good shot of winning the best picture for what I think is the best picture of the year, and that's Richard Linklater's Boyhood. It's moving, it's not gimmicky, it's just astounding to sit down and spend 12 years with somebody in three hours. It's it's brilliant, um, and it looks really great, too. So, uh, I'm really excited to see if that thing can pull off best picture, although I'm being told that Selma's got a chance at stealing it, so we'll see. Uh, honorable mentions, Only Lovers Left Alive, uh, The Rover, How to Drain Your Dragon 2, Night Moves, uh, Whitewash, I guess that's that's it for now. Oh, underrated gem, A Walk Among the Tombstones with Liam Neeson. People should check that out. It's not another Taken movie. It's kind of a hybrid of 70s, 80s, 90s crime um, ca- crime thrillers. It's damn good if you like these just slow-paced crime detective stories. I, I really enjoyed that. So anyway, that's it. I'm looking forward to seeing what's coming out in 2015. And hopefully we'll talk to you guys before that. We'll do some Soderbergh or Almodovar 2 or something. Uh, but uh, keep up the great work. I love the show. And uh, hope you guys do well in the coming year. Uh, everybody, thanks again. Cheers. There are no two words in the English language more harmful than good job. Wow. Um, What is your number four movie? I believe it's another debut. Um, Kind of takes the structure of a science fiction film, spins it on its ear. Yeah. A little bit Primer-esque, but a little bit more raw. Obviously, that's the handheld camera thing. Paranormal Activity, The Mark. Shut up. Thank you. Shut up. Thank you. You're wrong. Thank you. No, you're wrong. It's Coherent. Coherence is great. Yeah, it is, isn't it? Why do you hate Coherence? Oh, is this your... number four. It's number four on your favorites. Yeah. Have this not been our most hated movies of the whole time? All right. Number four is Coherence. All right. Uh It's a great great film. Okay. It's a great film that um, surprised me. Um actually gave me anxiety mm-hmm. at certain instances. <laughs> um, I laughed quite a bit. I thought the improvisational feel worked in its favor as opposed to being, oh god, that was lame. Or, you know, just there's something about improvisational movies that can get kind of, uh, eh, you know, where the non-actors, you can tell they're non-actors. Well, these are actors. They are. It's just improvisational. It's a non-script. Right. <laughs> but these are actors. But everything they do seems genuine in the moment. Like, the only minor thing, like, this could have been, holy shit, this could have been my number three. But the only minor thing is just a character reads from a book and talks about Schrodinger's cat. And I realize they're trying to, they're trying to make sense of the moment. And maybe in that moment... Somebody somewhere somehow would just have a book lying around that talks about physics and has Schrodinger's cat in it, and you know, that's the only time I kind of rolled my eyes. 
But other than that, I thought it was great. And a lot of people kind of go, well, they didn't really know how to end it, and that ending just sort of goes, meh, I don't know, I don't like it. And I've heard that critique of just like having a really weak, out-of-left-field ending that didn't make sense. I thought it made sense. Yeah. So, yeah. I loved Coherence. I think it's a great parallel universe mystery thriller of sorts that had me on the edge of my seat and um, makes me really look forward to what this director does next. Sure. Sure. It's very, very smart movie. I, didn't mind, I don't mind the short angers captaining at all. Oh, okay. I, don't, I didn't feel like it was for it's the, the audience. It's the same thing in, like, I, I mean... I feel like if you had a group of... Let, let me put it this way. You can say that they're reading it for the benefit of the audience, but it felt like... But maybe you're right that it's for the benefit of the people. Yeah, because like, if you had a group of people at a dinner party, how many of them would understand the idea of parallel universes and Schrodinger's cat and stuff like that? Like, just a group of any random eight people, how many do you think? Probably, Two. yeah, probably very few. Yeah. So, <laughs> like, it felt, it made sense to me. It didn't feel like for, for the benefit of the audience. It felt like at a certain point... I think it's just the convenience of having a book, a physics book of, oh, here's Schrodinger's cat, let's, you know... But the physics book plays more into, like, oh, we found this book, let's read it, let's put it back. Like, the book plays a prominent part in yeah, a lot right. of the film. I think it's... But, um, I think, I think, I mean, it's just like at that point, it's just, it. I didn't feel like a concession to the audience to me. It feels like, well, everyone, like, that movie is so disorienting, and everyone's being so disoriented by what's going on, and it's so strange... At a certain point, you They're need something to, to happen. It. Well, no, you need something to happen that gets everyone on the same page. Otherwise, it will just spin off and no one will be agreeing. It will be chaos and you won't be able to actually explore anything because none of the characters will be on the same page. So you have to get yeah. some point that focuses everything in. Um, and there I is, think there's very Altman-like moments where they talk over each other, too. That kind of like. it's, it's an improvisational movie. I know. Um, my number four. Oh, before I read my number four, I think we have to do another list. What is it? Uh... This is my coworker Juan uh, Garcia, who uh, he lent me uh, *Great Gatsby* and *Perks of Being a Wallflower*, and I said I would watch *Perks of Being a Wallflower*. <gasps> um, yeah, well, and I still haven't. I told him I told him I'll watch it like four months ago, and I still have it, and I haven't watched it. But uh, this was his top. I asked him to send in his top ten list. Um, he's not a listener of the podcast at all, but here is his top ten movies of the year. Number one, *When the Game Stands Tall*. Number two, Lego Movie. Number three, Locke. Number four, The Judge. Um, I don't, do you know what The Judge is? Yeah, it's a Robert Duvall, Robert Downey Jr. courtroom drama. Okay. Number five, Draft Day. Uh, number six, Dracula. I think there was some... Um, <laughs> I think there was... I can't remember the name. I, I don't know if it's called Dracula or if it was Dracula colon Revengeance Rising or some dumb shit. But it was some movie that came out earlier this year. It was like some action. It was Dracula movie. 2014. Yeah, there you go. Uh, there was Monuments Men and Man, Monuments Men at number seven. There is Neighbors at number eight. Uh, <laughs> Mister Peabody and and Sherman at number nine. The uh, animated, the animated Rocky and Bowwinkle spinoff. Maybe it's good. Yeah, no, it's probably outstanding. Uh, and number ten is Twenty Two Jump Street. That's a, that's an argument I I've had on this podcast many times that I have with him as well, which is like he asked me if I've seen Wreck It Ralph, and I say I don't watch children's movies, and he goes, "Come on, it's good," and I say I don't watch children's movies. But uh, thank you, Juan. Um, you Juan, like Lego Movie? 
I like comedy. Like, that's a comedy. Most children's movies are bad comedies, and that one's a good comedy. Meow. Okay. Right? Yeah, maybe. Like, that, like, Lego Movie's funny. I hate all the parts of it that are just, like, a kid's movie. Mm-hmm. But, like, How to Train Your Dragon mm-hmm. isn't a funny movie. How to Train Your Dragon parts has just very few. Cute. I mean, what about a puppy? You like puppies and kittens. Yeah, I have YouTube videos for that. I don't have to watch a feature film about the uh, the story arc of a boy and a puppy and a kitten. I can watch an eight-minute video that has puppies and kittens doing way cuter things than I've ever seen in a movie. So anyway, thank you, Juan. Uh, Juan insists I should see When the Game Stands Tall, which is a uh, high school sports movie about the uh, undefeated uh, California football team that... I was undefeated for like 120 something games or whatever. And just watch the documentary Undefeated. I think I'm instead I'm going to uh, I'm going to watch uh, Walking Tall, two, <laughs> the the, the direct video sequel. Mm. Uh, or Isn't that one of your New Year's resolutions to watch more movies with The Rock. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, I'm gonna. What was that movie he did where he's? I like the one we did with um... Sean William Scott. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the, run, the rundown. Ways? The rundown. Rundown. The rundown's really good. Um, but he did this fucking the snitch. Was it snitch? I think he did some snitch. I saw like the trailer. <laughs> I saw the trailer fifteen hundred times uh, in the in the theaters, and it looked terrible each time. Don't I have to know your number four now? Uh, no, my number um, my number four is only for the audience. Cover your ears. Grand Budapest Hotel. Oh no! What I did don't I say? Know. Yeah. Well, let me talk about this movie. This movie is funny. This movie is energetic. This movie is beautiful. This movie has great performances. This movie has Ray Fiennes channeling uh, James Cagney in Footlight Parade. You finally watched Schindler's List. Yes. Very good. Grand Budapest Hotel. So much fun. Yeah, it's pretty good. Uh, We talked about it a lot. No. It's a great movie. Yeah, listen to our Wes Anderson episode if you want to know more. Or listen to the episode that came out after that movie came out. Yeah. Or hit my just. Yeah. Just just don't listen to us ever again. Please, please turn this off and do something valuable with your life. What's your number three, Jim? You could be listening to this and doing something valuable. You could be cleaning your apartment and be listening. What's your number three, Jim? Boyhood. Boyhood? Yeah. It's a movie, um... About a boy in the hood. And um, it's really, really... Uh... Oh, Strapped. Oh, you're thinking of the movie Strapped. No. Directed by Forrest Whitaker? Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Strapped? No. It's a movie about a boy. No, About a Boy is a different movie. Oh, I like that one, too. But this one's just well, a wee bit better. No, a wee bit better was a uh, children's DVD. <laughs> <laughs> We baby Thomas. We baby Thomas. Yeah. Um, Boyhood is a pretty remarkable achievement from director Richard Linkletter, who manages to uh, just outdo himself every year. It seems because he keeps getting better and better. Like I, I don't know. I just fucking love his movies. I love the fact that he's creates these really um, organic moments with people that seem very real. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a very relatable movie without it being like, oh, yeah, I remember that moment in my life. It's just the feeling. He's all about the feeling. He's all about just experiencing moments in time. And he does it really well. And, I mean, he's obviously focused a lot on time 
with his movies, you know, Waking Life, the horror trilogy, and now this one sort of being the culmination of all the things that all the themes that he's touched on in the past. Um, and he's also what's he doing? What's Patrick doing? It means Patrick's getting bored. Okay. I know. No, I mean, it's everybody knows what it is. Everybody loves it at this point. It's probably going to win Best Picture. Keep talking. Are you going to get more beer and pizza? Keep talking. Um, I enjoyed everything about this film. The performances are fantastic. Um, man, Patricia Arquette gives a career achievement here. I just, I, I mean, the scene towards the end where she breaks down is pretty spectacular. So, I don't think you can say anything more about Boyhood. Well, but then I you? shan't. But can you? I can, and maybe I will later. How's that? <gasps> Shit! Um, I'll read a list here from Chase, who I know is a fan of the show. Yeah. The show. Chase? Chase the show. No, it's Forenza. Oh, Forenza. I thought his name was Chase Fischiao. No, it's Forenza. Boyhood, Under the Skin, Mood Indigo, Joe, Interstellar. Did we either of us see Mood Indigo? No. Did that... No. Did that get kind a of regular release in America? Yeah. Okay. Interstellar, The Baba Duke, Infomaniac Volume 1, Particle Fever, Enemy, and Zero Theorem. You didn't see Zero Theorem either, did you? No. New Terry Gilliam. Your your boy. Your boy Terry Gilliam. Why is he my boy? Because Tideland is one of your favorite movies. No. No? No. Okay. Must be some other Wait. Did a coherence happen? Did are we are we switched around? You did leave. Yeah, I left and I came back. Or maybe a different version of me came back. That Band-Aid looks very different. Yeah, it's cloth. <gasps> All right. Anything else? Chase had to add anything else? No. Thank you very much, Chase. Something in your list? Yeah. You had some good stuff. Well, actually, no. I think... Is this including him? Yeah. He has a favorite movie memory I'll read. There we go. Boy- I thought there was Boyhood was playing for months at Atlanta's Midtown Art Cinema, so I was fortunate enough to see it there twice. I brought my mother with me the second time. She loved it. Afterwards, we talked about childhood, parenthood, the immensity of life in general, over pizza and drinks. Really glad we could share that experience. Oh, make me cry. That's sweet. That really is. When you can have a shared movie experience with a parent, Niagara Falls, dude. What won Best Picture last year? It's been so many years since I watched the Academy Awards or paid attention to them. What won Best Picture last year? Because you said, like, Boyhood's probably going to win Best Picture, and that thought had never occurred I said to me. that? Yeah. When did I say that? In here? Just now? Yeah. Oh, wow. Well, you're talking about Boyhood. <laughs> um, it could be Boyhood or Selma. That's what I'm thinking. That's my guess. I'm just guessing. Selma, I don't know. Selma, they botched. They didn't, like, release it soon no. enough. Like, so many critics didn't see it. Shit. Um, well, maybe not. I don't know. The Academy's stupid and weird. It all has to bend with backstory stuff. But, like, what won Best Picture last year? Um, Argo. Argo won. Argo? Yeah. That was 2013? Yeah. That was 2012. No. 2013, 12 Years a Slave. Yeah? Did that win? Yeah, I guess it did. Okay. 12 Years a Slave, Argo. Then what was the one before that? The Artist? Mm, Yeah, I think so. Boy, it's been a while. 
Do you want? What, what we was gotta the last do. We gotta do our. What was the last? We don't have to. What was the I last do. Time? I do. I want to say it live now. What? We gotta do our best of the decade so far. No, uh, if you want to. <laughs> I'm, af- I'm afraid that the best of the decade so far will be us recapping things we've said on previous best of the year episodes. All right. Uh, because best of the decade so far means since this podcast has been around. That's true. I can't help it. I'm addicted to making lists. That's I need fine. help. Is there, a, just, is there just, a support group? Yeah, there is a support group. Or we can just, you know, beat list, you over list, the head with a bat. <laughs> yeah, list something else. You're going to need support. You're going to need crutches after I'm done with you. My Please. Number, what's your, do you do your number three? Boyhood? Yeah. Boyhood. Oh, boy. So that means I know what your number two is. And that means I know what your number one is. All right. Um, there goes the <laughs> I'm surprise. So happy. Okay. Well, well, I just figured it out, and I was I was okay. hoping for a surprise, but now I know that your number one movie of the year is Ernest and Celestine. Um, I need to see that too. It's it's cute. Oh, cute! It is cute. I like cute. Yeah. Um, Nightcrawler, my number three. Oh wow! Yeah, you liked it that much? It's fucking great. Okay. It's fucking amazing. It's. It's a mistake to think it's about the media, though. Like that's that, some people thought that. Yeah, I know a lot of people thought that. It's, it's in there. That media critique is in there, but like that's not really what's about because the bulk of the movie is about this character. I thought of it more as a character study, but it's not a. Oh, but it's but it's weird because I don't think it's a character study either because he's he is just an opaque sociopath. Like there's not like yeah, it's a, a character study of a sociopath. But I'm saying. You don't find out what, how, like, where he comes from. You don't find out. No, there's what no he, arc and there's no backstory. Right. It doesn't feel like a character. It's, I guess, character study. I guess character. character study doesn't necessarily imply that it studies where he comes from or whatever. But like, I just view it so studying much studying him in the moment. I think he's. I think it's an allegory. I don't think you can view it literally. That movie, because that movie, he's so inhuman and weird. Like it, he doesn't come across as an actual there person. Are sociopaths who act that way, who reads not like, who look that way and act that way. Exactly, and are able at any given moment to spout out the exact line. They're like, I don't view it as a, I don't at all view it as as him as like an actual person because actual people like had to improvise inside the real world, and he seems to just have the script ahead of time and know everything's going to happen. It just seems to me I like he's like he to, to me is as inhuman as, or more so than Scarlett Johansson in Under the Skin. Like that to me is like I can't look at this movie as literal. So, Nightcrawler is amazing to me because he just, he is just, like, a logical capitalist. Like, if you take capitalism to its logical extreme where you take out any, any, any concept of sentimentality, any concept of caring about human cost, any concept of morality, and you just are, how does one make a living? How does one manipulate others to make your living then it's just then it's something like bugs in here sorry it's someone's phone vibrated jim that happens sometimes (laughs) in in a world in which people have phones sometimes they vibrate or it's the radiator um but like yeah so like everything he does is like perfect exacting very exact just capitalist like uh ren brown put it a really interesting way on Twitter. He said like the idea of corporations as people, like if a corporation was a person, it would be him. This like smiling person who's saying these platitudes about like hard work and picking yourself up and, and fun facts. And, and like he's, he's couching everything in this way that uh, that's like, I'm all about self-improvement and picking myself up and this and that, but he's actually 
like just this mindless fucking not mindless. He's this just soulless, heartless machine that analyzes every situation and does exactly what it needs to do to get the most out of it for him and says so exactly that like to Rene Russo like in multiple scenes and stuff and the and the way he talks to his employee like where he's talking about their performance review like those scenes are so potent and to me it is such a really strong satire of capitalism that it's hard for me to view it as just like him as a sociopath existing in the world that me and you exist in uh, like I to see, me, it's like I see people like that walking around. You don't. Pit, see. I know. I people who like don't know how to talk to people, but it's not because he knows how to talk to people. I'm I saying mean, like it's the opposite. No, I mean, like he says at one point, or his coworker says something. You don't really know how to talk to people very well. No, he just and, doesn't know how to. And he says, be "I warm. don't like people." Yeah, it's not that I. That's what he says. And I think there's a lot of people out there in the world, especially in the no. I know, but they don't. Act, but there's. The thing that makes his performance so amazing is that he isn't just a sociopath. He's the most capable sociopath ever. Like, that to me is just something vitally different. The fact that he always has the angles on everything all the time and he never makes mistakes. And, like, he just analyzes every situation and he says things that perfectly manipulates people to do exactly what he wants. That to me is a corporation. That to me is he's, like, I I can't view it as reality. The very end of that movie is saying to me he's going to become a CEO someday. You know, like right, that, but that's a, that's and then it, that's that self evident. That's self evident, though. It doesn't. He doesn't need to be a CEO because he's already a corporate. Like I know, I don't view it. I view it as allegory. I don't view it as literal. I can't view it as literal. It doesn't make sense. If you view it as literal, then it's just like ridiculous. It's a ridiculous, stupid movie. If you try <laughs> to, if you try to assume this takes place in the real world, it's like, well, this is unrealistic. I can't believe a moment of this. Huh? I thought it was realistic. <laughs> no, I don't think it's realistic at all. No, oh, okay. I mean, I think, and I think the. The sort of surreal uh, when you when you work in a shot. big corporate building in uh, downtown Chicago, trust me, there are guys like that all over. I know, but they're not. It's I'm not saying there aren't people who don't care. I'm not saying there aren't sociopaths. I'm saying there aren't people who are as hyper capable as him. He's as good at, at what he does as Scarlett Johansson. Like him and Scarlett Johansson are basically the same character. The only difference is she has a crisis of faith and he doesn't. Like. So you're saying he's like an alien? Yes, he acts like an alien. He acts like he's inhuman. Huh. Yeah, I guess. I'm not saying he's literally an alien in the text of the movie. I'm saying that the movie is to be viewed as allegory the same way that Dogville is to be viewed as allegory. It's almost like he's just really good at being human or something, you know? Yeah, but I'm just I'm saying, like, there isn't anyone that good. There isn't anyone... Like, and just even the way he's supposed to look, like, it's supposed to... It, to me, is like... And even the way the movie is shot, where it's just all... it's. It kind of has that Michael Mann thief feeling where it's just these, you know, heated, this heated environment and all these lights and just the way L.A. looks in the movie feels more like science fiction the way, you know, the way it looks in like Heat or Thief or Chicago looks like in Thief. Like, I can't view this as literal. And to me, it's all about creating this this uh, fevered kind of atmosphere. Huh. Like, now I want to watch oh, it. Well, here's, okay, here's my point. Here's my point. You can be the most ruthless self-interested um, sociopath in the world, but that's not going to enable you to pull off that dr- those driving maneuvers he does at the end. Right? Like, I guess. Like, yeah. what, what, what made... What, like, constantly throughout the movie, he's driving at 80 miles per hour everywhere, and he never gets in trouble because of it. Like, he's constantly... You know, he's doing all the time. I don't know. Maybe I just contextualized him as yeah. almost like... 
I'm not, I'm not uh, saying it like it does. Christian Bale in American Psycho. Right, but Christian Bale in American Psycho, American Psycho is is also like a very heightened. That's a very heightened movie as it's well. It's heightened, yeah. But it's also he heightened. fucks up. Yeah. Okay. I mean, part of American Psycho is that the reason Christian Bale gets away from it for well, so no, long I, is because everyone watch else is, it with is, your perspective in mind because it's interesting. Because part of the reason Ameri- Christian Bale gets away with everything American Psycho for so long is that everyone's so as self interested and ego driven as he is that they don't even care. Mm-hmm. Like the, like the, I'm not the, saying you're wrong. Yeah, it's no, I'm not, and I'm not saying I'm right. I'm not saying like that's the only way to view the movie. I'm just saying like it's the only way I can view the movie, and I think. That it makes the movie way more interesting, and it does, and it does his performance more justice than if you are just like, yeah, that's a crazy movie. I mean, the, the local news isn't actually that bad, and it's like, but and it's like, yeah, it's trying to be network. Like, I don't think any of that really applies. To no, I don't either. That would that drove me nuts. Yeah, reading that. So anyway, I fucking I thought Nightcrawler is incredible, incredible, creepy as hell, really energetic, really smart, like a really great script. Like I thought that was a great movie. Number uh, list. Um, that should just be how I re- react. Yeah. Oh, list. Oh, my glasses. I saw forty-eight movies this year, including short films. Only eight movies I wouldn't recommend: Skeleton Twins, A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night. Um, listen to the Altman episode for more on that. Paranormal Activity: The Marked Ones, The Guest, Cabin Fever, Patient Zero, Free to Play, which is a really bad documentary about esports. Dock of the Dead, which is a really, really bad documentary about the zombie phenomenon, and Devil's Do, which was the worst movie of the year for me. Those are the only movies I saw this year that I wouldn't recommend. So stuff like Housebound, Locke, Only Lovers Left Alive, Valley of the Dolls, uh, Edge of Tomorrow, Lego Movie, The One I Love, Afflicted, Willow Creek, Obvious Child, Birdman, all those movies I would recommend to people. Yeah, you enjoyed them. Yeah. Just because I have some Malefic-a-thing. My number two choice is a movie that's very easy to pronounce. It's a really complex... A verse. A verse. What are you talking about? A verse. It's two days and one night. Do you say inherent vice in your top 25? There's a reason for it. I don't think it's that great. Yet. Oh, wow. That's surprising. <laughs> it's uh, number... 30 right now, and we did our top 25. Well, for sure, it was your number two. Really? Yeah. No. Paul Thomas Anderson is your dude. Dude? dude. The master didn't make my top 10. Last it, made your, it made the top 10. Right? It was, it was like your number, number 9 or number 8. It was number 11. Okay. And then it was your number 10. You're like, what? You were shocked. Well, I'm shocked again. Number 2 is Two Days and One Night with Marianne Cotillard. By the Dudernge brothers. I forgot how you pronounce it. Dudans? Dudernge? Dudarn. Yeah. Um, Dudarn. It is... Dudarn. One of the more straightforward films you will ever see where it's all set up right at the onslaught at the start. It's just like, okay, I'm going to lose my job unless I convince my coworkers to take a pay cut or not receive their bonuses. Because that's just basically the ultimatum that her boss... Uh, presents at this business meeting that we have to let somebody go and it's going to be her um, since we have to have enough in our budget to give everybody their bonuses this year. So she has to go around town convincing a number of co-workers, I think it might even be like 10 or 11 of them, that... Uh, I think it's 12 total co-workers, but two are already on our side. Yeah, yeah. 
um, to not take their bonuses this year, and every time she goes up to somebody, it's a completely different interaction, and I was on the edge of my seat wondering what each person was going to say and what happened when they didn't decide to go along with her or feel sorry for her. Um, It's a deceivingly simple film with just a lot to say about where we are when it comes to money. Like, we're willing to, you know, throw somebody under the bus just to uh, appease ourselves and give ourselves extra money when we need it. And there are legitimate reasons why people need to take their bonuses. It's not all like, they're assholes, you know? For, yeah, they're not selfish. Right, exactly. And it's just a movie about, you know... We are experiencing technical difficulties. Sure. Yeah, I gotta see that. I that's the I will see that one. Uh, I I will see twi- <laughs> <laughs> I, saying, I will see two days one night. Okay. I'm not gonna see any other 2014 movies for the rest of my life. Ever. Ever. What if we in ten years are still doing this podcast? Sure. What and. I guess I don't have a legitimately good reason yeah. for you to see a 2014. Never again. I don't know. Maybe you'll want to watch Boyhood again. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe I'll want to watch Boyhood again. <laughs> Maybe. Actually, I'll probably watch Boyhood again. All right, good. I'll it's probably watch We Are the Best in Boyhood. I'll, fa- I'll fall into a rhythm. I'll only watch those two movies the same way the only albums I listen to are Suicide, Self-Titled, and Future Language by Von Elmo. Well, my New Year's <laughs> resolution is to only watch films from 2014. <laughs> God damn it, I have beer in my mouth. That is so weird. What if you, what if you kept renewing that one? Like, my last, like last year's New Year's resolution... Was that I write about every movie I saw. And I did. I wrote about every single movie I saw in 2014. Now you don't have to do that ever again. Well, no. I'm going to keep that up, you know? But what if in 2016 you're like, I'm only watching 2014 movies? <laughs> I just got to keep watching And you just over. like keep – and then like eventually in like 2020, you're, it's like – so what do you know? It's like, well, I saw this – I saw this direct-to-video action movie with Danny Trejo, <laughs> and uh, it was all right, I guess. Yeah, the what we watched everyone get pretty dull. Yeah. Yeah, um, we have another list from Thomas Wishloff. Our, we baby Thomas. Uh, we baby Thomas from our guest, our guest from the Oliver Stone episode. He was so thrilled to be on for that one. Good, good. We are thrilled to have him. He d- says, keep in mind, he didn't get a chance to see Winter Sleep, Ida, Inherent Vice, or Force Majeure. But his top ten were Snowpiercer, mm-hmm. Nightcrawler, mm-hmm. Coherence, mm-hmm. Only Lovers Left Alive, mm-hmm. Whiplash. Hmm. Under the Skin, about which he says, I love the fact that I think this movie is about a vagina, but I am probably totally wrong about that, and that fascinates me. I don't know what he means by that, so I had to read it out loud, because it's about a, like, about a sex organ, or metaphorically about the vagina as a concept? I don't know what he means by that. Um, Number four, Birdman. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, number three, Boyhood. He says, I'm actually the same age as Mason is, so to say I heavily connected with this film would be an understatement. I still think some parts of this film don't actually work, particularly the bit with the shrunken, abusive stepfather, but I think a lot does indeed work. The whole film basically acts as a collection of little touches, which come together to mean so much more. Uh, his number two is Foxcatcher. He says he thinks he's the only person who liked this film. Everyone else said that it was super boring, but he thought it was the opposite. Pretty lenses, people. Come on. I liked it. Didn't love it. Yeah. I know a lot of people who love it, including Jay Chiel. That's his number one. And then uh, 
Thomas's number one is Mommy. He says, my new favorite director is a 25-year-old kid who has somehow directed five feature-length films at this point, including this masterpiece. The kid he's talking about is uh, Xavier Dolan, um, who sort of made a big splash when he was like 20 or 21. He directed a film called I Killed My Mother that was at Cannes. Um, anyway, shot in 1-1 ratio, so basically a perfect square in the center of the screen. Mommy is one of the greatest movies ever made. Honestly, I can only compare the experience of seeing this thing all alone on a Monday to watching something like La Ventura at Cannes in 1961 or Citizen Kane in theaters in the 40s, as I honestly feel this film will change cinema. If you two can get a chance to see this thing in the early part of the new year, I highly recommend it. It will blow your mind. That is some pretty good hyperbole, Thomas. Um, You're giving me a run for the money in terms of the hyperbole. Indeed. Uh, I I I don't buy it for a second, but... Good for you. <laughs> like, Patrick's never going to watch it. I'm never. I mean, it's a 2014 movie, so why would I? Um, I don't know. Maybe it. Maybe it's going to have a 2015 release in America. Oh, I'm glad that he mentioned What If. Is, that's the 500 Days of Summer of this year. The best uh, romantic comedy? Comedy of all time, yeah. It's, it's really is that, That's about the time-traveling Englishman. Red-haired. No, that's time. Tra- no, that's uh, time. About time. About time. Did you like that one? No. You I didn't? It. I didn't at all. It seemed kind of fun. It seemed like Jim's movie. It's yeah. time travel. Yeah, it, it's like kind of cute. It's yeah. romantic. And Rachel McAdams. Yeah, Rachel McAdams is good. He's... And ben Fold's music. Yeah. yeah. And it wasn't I, for you. Oh, and also, did I mention a daddy? Daddy and son bonding? Oh, daddy daddy issues. Yeah. Daddy issues movie. And it wasn't for you. No. Incredible. Yeah. Incredible. About time, about crap. Um, What is What If Then? What If... Stars Harry Potter and... Oh, that movie. Yeah, I don't give a fuck. Yeah, All right. Uh, let's see. I have to do my number. Like big Eyes because everybody I've talked to doesn't like Big Eyes. Yeah. Tim Burton still making crap, apparently. Yeah. What I've heard. Shocking. Uh, number two. Coherence. My, Shocking. That's my number two. Shocking. Shocking movie. The primer of 2014. Ooh, boy. I would agree. I, would, uh, <laughs> I was gonna say you don't think because I, I think like it's a lot. Like the yeah, primer is the yeah. only other movie I've seen that's like this, right? But right. it's a lot, a lot easier to con- comprehend than primer. Oh, for sure. Because uh, at one point a character reads from a book, and I'm just, I'm just joshing. I'm joshing with you there. Primer is a because primer is a movie that I've seen many, many times, and I don't get after a certain point. I get lost. Yeah, that's how I feel about Inherent Vice. You haven't seen that many, many times. No, but I, I get lost. You got lost. I became lost. <laughs> coherence is really good. We've talked a lot about coherence. I think my favorite sort of oh shit moment of the year was is the scene where they the see guy themselves and they're like different glow sticks. No, 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 no. It's more smart than that. It's subtler than that. It's the it's, <laughs> I'm pointing my I'm wagging my finger at you because it's, it's I'm serious now. The best part of the, the of that whole movie is when they are going, oh, so you know what we should do? If there's multiple houses, we should create a code so we know which house is which. And then they're like, oh, and then they're doing all these things that are random and they're picking an object. So they're all rolling dice and they're writing the numbers on the back of photographs and they're putting it in a lockbox and they're putting in a random object with it. And they're trying to think, and they're like, oh, and we should use a certain color marker or whatever. And they're trying to think of all the different ways they can make things random so they know for sure if you get lost, that this is the house they're in because there's all these alternate dimensions, the same house. And at a certain point, like someone's calculating how many different dimensions 
or how many different combinations there are. And then he, and then it's revealed that it's like in the tens of millions and he slowly turns the phone and so on. And it's, and it's like, it sort of dawns on you that at that moment that they're actually making things worse because they're making more and more splinter dimensions. The more choices they make that are random like that, the more create, like the more insane number of themselves are existing. More universes. And it sort of dawns on the main character Mm -hmm. at that moment. She, cause she sees the camera and she sort of just like, totally falls upon it's like well we're totally lost like there's no hope of getting back to our right house and some people complain that they get lost too in the process really yeah i thought the only thing i think the movie doesn't like i the only i think the movie's really explains a lot i think the only thing the movie doesn't explain is the um is is the ending i think the ending is I don't sort think of, we should give it away yet either i'm not i'm not going to give it away i'm just saying i think the ending is sort of an ambiguous note that maybe implies that there's more to the to what happened than the characters have grasped, and mm-hmm. I think so. And it's it's really interesting and it's really cool, but I don't know. <laughs> I don't I don't know if it's explained within the text of the film what that ending means. Yeah, but I love the movie. I loved all the acting. I loved the characters. I loved just the very natural. Uh, steady way it just sort of devolves into chaos and the very logical way that like none of the none of the character motivations seem particularly um, like contrived or anything everyone seems to be responding to each other in real ways and yeah I was also freaked out by the moment a character goes what if there's a drunk version of me at the other house you know like just like people having these moments of realization of the another version of themselves could exist, and what could they be thinking, what could they be doing, it's kind of scary to think about. Yeah, you know, I think this movie is more accessible than people give it credit for. I mean, yeah. as far as like, it's I think it's way more accessible than Primer. I think my mom could watch this movie and understand what's going on. Oh, maybe not my mom, but someone else's mom. Okay, <laughs> someone someone else's mom who's. Who, who watches a little more Let's interesting Let's test movies. that theory, Patrick, for a new commentary with Patrick's mom. Yeah, watching Coherence. If we talked through Coherence, there's no way she would know what was going on. But I love Coherence, and we've already talked about it, so we can... Uh, Read a list and call it quits? No, 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 because we got to get to our number ones, baby. Oh, shit. Marissa writes in, and she's a fan. She's quite the fan. Yes. So let's read her list real quick because um, I'm very excited to read some of these choices. Number one is the film you just talked about. Great segue here. Coherence! Number two is Big Hero 6, which I haven't seen. Number three... Regina saw it. Huh? Regina saw it. Regina wrote about it on uh, their blog. Said it was pretty cute. Number three is How to Train Your Dragon 2. I like that one. Number four is Jodorowsky's Dune. Number five is Guardians of the Galaxy. Number six is the Lego movie. Number seven is X-Men Days of Future Past. I like that one, too. Number eight, Captain America the Winter Soldier. Number nine, Godzilla. Hmm. Number ten is The Interview. Why is that? Maybe it's funny. Maybe. After looking this over, she says, I see I only saw ten new movies this year. For shame. Okay, well, there you go. Okay. Those are all ten movies that Marissa saw ranked. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Um, okay. Shall we? All right. We shall. I want to give you a hint for my number one. 
Uh, hit me. A doo 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 I'm gonna need uh, I'm gonna need a couple more minutes of this hint. Oh, Birdman! Birdman with the drummer. Uh, no, but there's drums in this movie. Drums in this movie. Oh, we are the best. I thought that I thought that was in your top. Drums in the movie? It was your number song. It's your number six. My number six. I movie. think it there's was. no drums in Snowpiercer. Oh, did I get the number wrong? What's number one? Or my number one is a movie called Whiplash. Yeah, and you know why? Why is this your number one movie? Because I loved it. You personally? Yeah. Other than that, this must have affected you personally. Oh, no, but I mean, like, there's. <laughs> Like there, there are the things about Whiplash that are obviously appealing and make it exciting to watch. But what made this your number one movie? What made this the movie? The, uh, the editing, the music, the acting—all the things that I love about movies. But most importantly, I thought it really captured well what the voice inside my head sounds like when I make music. I am constantly yelling at myself that this could be better. I'm constantly berating myself, thinking I'm shit. You know, it's like. A lot of it is really about the internal struggle for me about being a musician and being a perfectionist and just struggling. Are you a perfectionist? Oh, God. Yeah, I go crazy sometimes. You don't want to see me when I'm recording. Because um, you record so much, I figured that you must have <laughs> It's not... all shit! No, but I mean, like, you just put out a lot when you start recording. Yeah. It's not like... But like I tweak you... it. I tweak it so much. Yeah. And... Honestly, like I, I, most of the time, I'm like, well, I shouldn't put this out. This is shit. And half the time, I'm wrong. And I try to prove myself wrong sometimes by trying to make myself better. But it's more really about the artistic process, the teacher-student relationship. Just um, a lot in this movie that I've been through in some regard or another. I've had crazy teachers, not to this extreme. But um, I've been there, and I've had teachers who don't enjoy complimenting their students and giving them positive reinforcement over and over and over again to where it's meaningless. But um, I will say that uh, the final ten minutes of this movie is pretty damn spectacular. You know? I will... Like, the, the, the final showdown here, the moment where they look at each other in the eyes, it's just perfect. It really is. I love the build-up to the ending of this movie and the two holy fuck moments that occur. <laughs> At the ending. Yeah. The, the previously mentioned holy fuck moment. Yeah. What do you think the thesis of this movie is? Do you think the movie agrees with J.K. Simmons' character? And how? And if, if so, and if not, how does the ending refute J.K. Simmons' character? Because to me... I think it does agree with that type of thinking, yeah. I do think it agrees with J.K. Simmons' okay. character, I do. Because there's reasons why... There's justifications, at least in J.K. Simmons' mind, why he's throwing a symbol at his head that he brings up during their conversation together in the bar. Yeah. You know? And it ends up pushing him to greatness. Yes. And that's what he hoped for, I think. But do you is that what you think? Yes. About art. It can. For for some people, yeah. I don't necessarily... Well, no, this movie has I, a very specific viewpoint, which is there's no words more harmful in the English language than good job, and you have to be 
you have to be filed down to a nub to, to produce great work. Like, it's not just this particular person had to meet this particular person. It's that if you have positive reinforcement, then you're just going to end up devolving into shit. Well, I don't – I mean people need positive reinforcement in life. To be one of the greats, you do have to be put through hell, I think, sometimes, you know? And some people make this really insane argument too, like, oh, you are you become more of a man if you go through the military, which I don't agree with. I don't agree with being, you know, chastised over and over and over again and then all of a sudden you're going to turn into a stronger person. But or even a greater movie, artist. But in this movie, that's what happens. That's true. It is true. But I think that can happen. For some individuals, yes, it can happen. Okay. So that's where you, that's where you depart from the movie. Which is, the movie implies that that is the way, and then you think that is a way. Yes, I think it is a way for okay. it to happen. That was what I was talking about before with that line. Okay. Is... I, think I don't think – I mean maybe the movie itself is saying that's the only way? Is that what you're saying? I think so because huh. that line is saying that the other way is bullshit. Like that – I think it depends on the person. Right, but that movie is not saying that. I'm talking about what the movie's actually saying. Yeah. Hmm. And okay. that's where I depart from the movie and that's where it's hard for me to embrace the movie because the movie embraces a mindset that I don't agree with. And it's not a mindset that it's like – I think it's immoral for Damien Chazelle to have as a writer director or whatever. Like it's not, but I think that, but it makes it less personal to me because I strongly disagree with the movie's thesis in terms of how great art is made. Mm. I think in some instances, especially the Charlie Parker story of like, this is how I became a great musician. Yeah. I think that can happen for certain people. Definitely. Spielberg went through nothing. Yeah, I know. So I'm just saying, like, I'm just saying, everyone told Spielberg, good job, his whole career, and he made amazing films. I'm not saying... <laughs> I, guess, I guess my point my point is that the movie is very anti... Positive reinforcement. Yeah. And that it's, and that it's weird in that the movie... It's weird for me to watch that movie thinking that. Yeah, I guess. But I just think in terms of what some people need... Maybe they need a J.K. Simmons in their lives sometimes, you know? So, you, so you think J.K. Simmons is validated in that movie? You think that everything I he think he goes to is, an extreme. I think he goes too far. But I don't... I, so too far, so they don't need J.K. Simmons. <laughs> that's what I'm asking. That's what I find interesting uh, about this movie, and that's what... Yeah. Because that's, that's, that's where I can't embrace the movie. So that's why I'm asking. I'm not, like, trying to call you out. I'm just saying... Well, I know. Like, I know, but it's... I wouldn't abide by the drill sergeant approach to teaching. I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't say that's like the only method or the way that, you know, students should be taught. But you think this is a movie about someone who did need the drill sergeant method. Yes. And in that, and in that right, someone who voluntarily enters a school to become the best musician they can, anything that JK Simmons throws at them, whether it's a symbol or abuse is valid. Yeah. So you think I he think is validated in his actions in this movie? Is what you're saying? With the outcome that happens, yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's interesting. Okay. It's interesting. 
I don't agree. <laughs> well, I, mean, I don't agree. What happened? Like, he became so fucking great at the end there, you know? Like, and he shows off to him. Like, he's pushed to a certain extreme, and then... I think he becomes a horrible human at the end. And I think he well, decides not to be a good human being. And there I are think, plenty of artists who are horrible I think it humans, is the, I think I'm it, sure. I think it is a victory of a villain over a hero. <laughs> over a hero. And that I is was not like, go, go me after this movie. I was like, happy. Right, I think that's weird. <laughs> I'm saying, I think that's a weird takeaway from this movie. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> I'm, Whiplash is amazing. Thank you. Whiplash is amazing. I'm, well, you, thank, thank you for making Whiplash, Jim. <laughs> I'm not saying, I'm just, I, that was the thing I wanted to talk to you about this movie. Okay. In regards to your favorite quote of the year, which to me is the quote that is emblematic of the whole thing that makes that movie weird for me to watch. Oh, wow. So you think we should give positive reinforcement all the time? No, I think it, I think it varies. Good but job. I think, I don't, I don't think good that, job. yeah, thank you. <laughs> There's a, I actually work with someone named Caesar and he says good job all the time and it drives me fucking crazy because yeah, it just sounds sarcastic. You have to like call people out sometimes too. Right. No, I'm saying the movie doesn't have that measured view. You have a measured view. The I movie, hope so. I, the movie, I don't believe, has this measured view that you're talking about. Huh. Maybe it's not a happy ending after all. That's weird. It's, it's, it's an interesting movie, I think, for sure. But that's I can't fully embrace it because of that. Hmm. We have to read two more lists. Or we have to read one more list and then listen to one more list. I don't know. My brain's fried now. That's fine. Let's take a little break. It. We'll read Jonathan Anderson's list. Jonathan Anderson said, said his number one was Frank. Did you see Frank? Yeah, I liked it. It was fine. Uh, number two was Boyhood. Number three was Night Moves. Number four was Snowpiercer. Number five, five was The Babadook. Number six was Under the Skin. Number seven, Captain America, The Winter Soldier. Number eight, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. Number nine, The Lego Movie. Number ten, John Wick. He said, here to a much better year than last and many podcasts to fill it with. Thank you, Jonathan. Yeah, thanks, man. And uh, now let's listen to... Uh, my partner, Regina Berry. Hi, everyone. This is Regina, Patrick's partner. I was on the Wes Anderson episode, the Richard Linklater episode, and the Let's Get Drunk and Talk Shit About Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom episode. I'm really happy to be recording this and presenting my top 10 movies of 2014, specifically because for my top 10 movies of 2013, I was too shy to actually record myself talking and I just made Patrick read it, so three cheers for self-actualization. My number 10 film is The Babadook. I really love the between uh, real-world horror and fairy tale horror, and just how it takes fairy tales and makes them actually creepy and terrifying like they're supposed to be. So props for that, and I'm hoping to see a lot more from that director in the future. Um, my number nine was Cheap Thrills. It was an incredible experience seeing it in the theater and being able to meet E.L. Katz and Pat Healy after their Q&A session at the Music Box. My number eight was uh, 12 O'Clock Boys which was a documentary that I hadn't heard a lot of buzz about before I saw it, so I'm not sure if folks are really familiar with it. It's a documentary about dirt bike culture in Baltimore. It's full of these languid, beautiful shots of the dirt bikers that really communicate how they feel about their pursuit the way that no other medium really could except for film. My number seven movie is Coherence. My number six is Snowpiercer. My number five is Grand Budapest Hotel. And my number four is Whiplash. 
And staying on the subject of young people playing instruments, my number three is We Are the Best. I really love this movie because it's just joyful and energetic from the very first moment all the way through the end credits. It's about these preteen girls, and instead of having a film where the main child characters are wise beyond their years, they are just really authentic preteens, but there's a real optimism and integrity about them that I really admired. And this movie does a great job of showing why punk would be such an important movement and music for these girls without being too preachy or overbearing and still managing to be a lot of fun. And then I couldn't decide which of these two movies was number one, so they both are, Under the Skin and Boyhood. If you want to hear my thoughts about Under the Skin, and I have many of them, you can check out my blog, pandabearshaped.wordpress.com. And then for Boyhood, you know, I started off 2014 not really knowing who Richard Linklater was. I'd seen Bernie and that was about it. And then I sat down this spring and watched most of his films for the episode that we did and just completely fell in love with his his style and what he has to say and how he approaches movie making. And then this love affair kind of culminated in seeing Boyhood this summer, which was also my favorite movie moment of the year. So Boyhood was released a week before my 30th birthday and seeing that film really spoke to how I was feeling at that time about feeling like I was moving on to a different phase in my life and feeling like my life was turning into this story that I can kind of look back on. I was also deeply moved by Patricia Arquette's character's arc, um, especially in the first like two-thirds of the movie. I had a really difficult summer. I was between jobs and I was just feeling really low and seeing Boyhood just puts everything in perspective. You can see how having a really difficult, stressful time is just that. It's just a, a piece of your life and things can change and you can move past them and it's just all Richard Linklatery goodness. So if you haven't seen that film, who am I kidding? You have seen that film. If you'd like to read more of my thoughts on film, check out my blog, Consistent Panda Bear Shape, a blog about fat characters in cinema. Um, you can find me at pandabearshape.wordpress.com. Um, recent article uh, includes a discussion of the greatest romance in 20th century cinema, namely John McClane and Al Powell from the Die Hard series. Um, so yeah, check it out and have a great 2015. All right. Not, not surprising considering the, uh, considering the, um, <laughs> the music she played in the background. No, 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 no. Considering the essay the on under the skin. And oh boyhood. yeah. Yeah. Great choice, though. So, Under the Skin and Boyhood is tied number one. Not surprising. Um, speaking of that, my number one's Boyhood. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, I've talked about it. I don't lot. know how I feel about that ending, though. It's pretty dark and misanthropic. Do you think so? <laughs> if anything, the one thing I don't like about the movie is the ending, because it's not... Because it's just sort of... I don't know. I'm off to true. become a character in Waking Life. See ya! Yeah, yeah. Or a character in... more. I think more pointedly, a character in Slacker. Oh, yeah. But, uh... Yeah, no, I, Boyhood's great. Boyhood's smart. Boyhood is really impressive. It's just an audacious way to make a movie. 
and it paid off in spades and Richard Linklater did everything right and just <laughs> capturing things uh, that happen in the moment and stuff like that. So I talked a lot about boyhood. You talked a lot about boyhood. Everyone talks boyhood, about boyhood. Boyhood, 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 boyhood. Boyhood's incredible. I love Richard Linklater's films. Um, He's got a new one coming out this year, too. It's supposed to be like a spiritual sequel to Days and Confused. So we'll, well, see. we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. I'm just waiting for him to falter now because I'm like, sure. holy crap. Before sure. midnight, boyhood, sure. what's going on? So that's my number one. Your, your number one of the year was Whiplash um, because of how, how cheerful and happy <laughs> it was. And my number one was Boyhood because of how depressing it is. Yeah. I'm just, I, I don't know. I'm just like, when I, that movie's over, I'm like, woo! Whiplash? Yeah. Well, it's energizing for sure. Like, yeah. that ending is very energizing. I'm not saying it's not like exciting. It's extremely exciting. But it makes me want to go make music. But I'm, I'm not like misanthropic, and I don't feel it as this dark thing. I don't know. Maybe I'm too sunny. You should watch that movie again. I'm scared. I don't want to now. What if it's my number one? You watch change that movie now? again and let, let me know what you think of no. that ending. With I don't that. want to talk. 2014's over. Remember? 2014's over. We're not watching any more 2014 no. movies. You're not going to go see Inherent Vice, right? No. Why would I? Because it's 2014. So you're never going to see it ever I'm again. I'm never going to see tw- Inherent Vice. Okay, good. My number one was Whiplash. My number two was Two Days, One Night. Number three was Boyhood. Number four, Coherence. Number five, The Duke. Number six, The Imitation Game. Number seven, The Grand Budapest Hotel. Number eight, Under the Skin. Number nine, Of Most Violent Year. And number ten, Birdman. My number one, Boyhood. My number two, Coherence. My number three, Nightcrawler. My number four, Grand Budapest Hotel. My number five, Selma. My number six, Whiplash. My number seven, Snowpiercer. My number eight, Cheap Thrills. See that movie. Cheap Thrills. My number nine, Under the Skin. My number ten, We Are the Best. Um, my number 26 was Birdman. It was almost in my top 25. Oh, so close. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, other movies that I liked, Listen Up, Philip, Force Majeure, Joe, What If, Inherent Vice, Obvious Child, Blue Ruin, Cheap Thrills, and Night Moves, Kelly Reichardt's film that had a poo-poo ending, I thought. Other movies I enjoyed and would recommend would be Birdman, Guardians of the Galaxy, Ernest and Celestine, Willow Creek, um, Obvious Child, Everything and Everything and Everything, a short film uh, featuring Shane Carruth. Ooh. Uh, the found footage horror movie, Afflicted. Uh, yeah. The one I love, uh, The Lego Movie, Edge of Tomorrow, Lock, Only Lovers Left Alive, Housebound, a really good uh, New Zealand horror film. I should see that, huh? Yeah, it's, it's, pretty, it's, it's really fun. And uh, The Valley of the Dolls and Cruising Electric, both of those two are short films. Yes. Um... I don't know if it's ever going to come out or if it's official. Like, The Lion's Mouth Opens is a short film that I talked about. I don't know if I talked about it on the podcast or what, but it's just a documentary about this actress who um, confronts the possibility that she has a degenerative disease. Uh-huh. It's just 15 minutes of some of the most heart-wrenching stuff I've ever seen in my life. Um, it's astonishing. It's an incredible piece of work. So I hope that gets out somehow or you can check it out online but that's the lion's mouth opens that's my short film of the year that i would it would have made my top 10 if it's official release or not so um i think that's it patrick that's it that's all we're going to talk about 2014 i'm exhausted this this is this year this year bullshit (laughs) it's good Uh, yeah it went all right i thought um it's a pretty decent year yeah. Shocked that you know I'm kind of cold on 
the PT. Yeah, yeah we'll I see. not your top twenty five. Yeah. So you didn't either. You didn't like it as much as the master or the I didn't. or that. Okay, you didn't. I think uh, I might like just from what I hear. I think I might like Inherent Vice more just because it's comedic. It is, but it's still sad. I mean, I, there's still some things about it that really make me scratch my head. But I still liked it. I just yeah. didn't love it, and I want to watch it again. I might. It might. Might go up, up after a second viewing. Sure. I hope. That's sure. right. Then, you know, we'll see. But, All right. Um, well, thank you for everyone who contributed. Thank you yeah. for listening to this goddamn monster of an episode. Is it nine hours long? Uh, it's three and a half. Oh shit. All right, we're going to have to just cut out all that shit you said about Whiplash. Yeah, that's probably what we're going to do. All right, thanks, everybody, for listening. You can, and what's the... Oh, no, go ahead. You can visit us at directorsclubpodcast.com. You can send us email, directorsclubpodcast at gmail.com. You can see our lists at letterbox.com. I'm an Instant Jim. I'm at Patrick Rapole. <gasps> cool. Twitter, Instant Jim as well. Twitter, Patrick Rapole as well. Hey, Jim. What? What song are we going to hear to close out this episode? It's a song by Sturgill Simpson. It's called Turtles All the Way Down. <laughs> this is... Hold on, hold on. Actually, let me let me do this right. This is Sturgill Simpson with his number one hit, Turtles All the Way Down. Oh, it is such a good song, everybody. The lyrics especially are phenomenal. You gotta listen to this guy, even if you like eh, country music. Meh. Trust. Well, they have to listen to it anyway. It's it's playing underneath us talking. Oh, we should just fade out us talking right now. So sounds good. I love you. I love you, Jim. Patrick. Sometimes. 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 Sometimes you're wrong. Sometimes you're wrong. Say you might go crazy Then again it might make you go insane Every time you take a hit Inside that old fable pit Blinded and blinded A pain caused by some old man Quit pestering me about it. You called me at two in the morning the other day and said, Did you watch Strange Color Your Body's Tears last night? I can't embrace it fully, but everything else about the movie is... I mean, Nicolas Cage experiences some redemption with what he Well, does. no, I'm not talking about him. He's not evil. Okay. I'm talking about the father, and I'm talking about yeah. the uh, Peter... Uh, what's his name? Satara? Yeah. God, fuck. <laughs> Everything's Peter Satara with you! Usually I've had all day to worry... I'm just like, oh, this is bullshit. I gotta actually quit the podcast right now. <laughs> I am, or as well. Devils do. Devils do more like devils don't. <laughs> okay.